everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. Training to be the best in your sport is one thing, but coaching is a whole other animal. Hear how former powerlifter Travis Mash learned to invoke a healthy shit-talking environment, his thoughts on the International Olympic Committee, and his struggles adapting his coaching to female lifters. And, of course, there's a healthy dose of movie discussion to remind you that Tom Cruise has allegedly never been in a bad movie, and that Mel Gibson played one hell of a tactical Santa. Here it is, episode 564. You know, the uh, velocity-based training is interesting. Um, you know, we toyed with it, and I've uh, always, you know, thought it was so interesting in terms of, like, you know, uh, like periodization and trying to, like, figure out, like, you know, fatigue. And then I just figured out that sometimes sheer will can just get you to move the fucking bar as fast as you can. It, it and, can. Uh, <laughs> yeah, totally. And then there were – and then when we, when we were uh, – you know, we had a Tendo unit. We had all these athletes coming in, and we were doing this, and uh, there was all these outliers. That like uh, just completely like we had all this. I, I thought I was super jiggy, and then we brought in people that were outliers, and it just kind of shattered everything. So I sometimes wonder. I know the stuff you're doing. You work with a lot of what I would consider outliers, or right. like I love seeing your Instagram when popping up and seeing like 17 year old kids snatching 400 pounds, you know, and just like shit where I'm like, oh my god. So we have a bunch of outliers. Are are they outliers, or is it just uh, intelligent programming and good coaching? That's a great question. You know, like, you know, the best athlete I have, you know, is in my backyard. So it's not somebody I recruited. It just happened to be somebody who came to me. He wanted, he wanted to be good at CrossFit. And the minute I saw him move, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll get whatever you want me to tell you, you know, but I knew he was going to be a great weightlifter just from his movement. And he was in my backyard. So is he an outlier? I mean, I'm definitely had some good genetics, but he didn't start out quite as, quickly as some people but he's definitely now risen to the you know risen to that level much quicker than some others so is it uh i mean is it genetics or with olympic weightlifting is it just you know uh shawshank redemption time and pressure <laughs> well you know powerlifting i would definitely say time and pressure um with weightlifting you gotta have you know if you look at someone, I'll tell you, here's, here's, a, here's a good indicator. We do a you know, reactive strength index where we do a depth jump and we look at how high and then how quickly they got off the ground. And it is almost point blank. Like you could look in a straight line of like who's my best to who's my worst based on that test. Mm. And so there I have to say like genetics has to play a role because, you know, RSI is going to look at like the tendons and it's going to look at, you know, fiber type and it's going to look at strength. It's pretty much all three of what's important all in one. And it's a telltale sign. And the guy that's, you know, my best dude you know, should make the Olympics, this quad, like he's going to be the top guy in that test. So, so he, he's got the most amount of uh, stored energy, like the, like the most rigid tendons. Right. You guys that don't know, it's a test where you jump off of a box and they're measuring how fast it takes you to get back off of the ground. Uh, you know, right. foot contact, reta- uh, what is it? Foot contact reaction time. Do we want to step right. off? Or do we want to jump off? <laughs> we like, just there, step off. It's a step. We make sure, yeah. yeah. The key is like, the key is this, is like whatever, make sure everyone does it the same. Yeah. And so like, I just do a T-test. So I just, you can do it where you do a 30 centimeter, 45, 60 centimeter, but we just use a 45 centimeter and then compare everyone against each other and just, you know, just run a T-test. So that compares the team to each other. And the kid who's like the top guy, he's the top score. And so... Well, 
Uh, it's it's kind of like in the Olympics uh, it, when they you know when they measure body fat, the guy that is the leanest individual usually wins the one hundred and the two hundred. And it's been right. pretty. It, it's been pretty like proven over the years. If they do body fat, they have a pretty good chance. Which I always thought was interesting. Like, uh, you know, I'm sure people bet on the Olympics, but that would be be like, ah, oh, who looks leanest? You know, getting these guys to do a bod pod just to figure out who's three, four, five percent body fat. But yeah, that's a good totally. indicator. You know, the uh, Olympic weightlifting is so interesting in that, uh, uh, like, you know, the weight classes and the variation and the techniques and all that. And then all of a sudden, you see these like super heavyweights that are in these like obscure Eastern block, you know, like uh, Eastern block slash, I don't know, Middle East. It, it's a trip where I'll look and I'll see these lifters and be like, where the fuck is this dude from? Yeah. Lasha is the top guy right now. And, I, you know, weightlifting coaches always want to say, I would love to see this guy in the NFL. It's, and I played college football. And obviously, I'm not your level, you played in the NFL. But uh, so I've played with athletes who are incredible. I had, This is the first guy where I'm really curious. What would he do? You know, he's six six. He's, you know, I, I would say he's definitely close 400 pounds. And he can move like an angel. Like he looks like a ballet dancer in movement. So you wonder if this dude has an ounce of being tough, I feel like he would be incredible in NFL. Of course, you don't know until the dude gets on the line. As you and I both know, you can be as you can be the most incredible athlete, but if you're not got that that sheer like meanness, you gotta be mean in football. If you don't have that, I don't know if you have that today. I, I like uh, I would have I would have agreed with you 10, 15 years ago. But it's interesting now, like um, uh, like they brought in guys from like, um, you know, there's, there's a guy from, I think it's the Eagles, who played rugby. And like there's some other sports that were kind of coming in and they were trying to do that stuff. But what was pretty interesting was uh, there was a time in the NFL where, you know, you made your bones by basically fucking going hard to the head. Um, yeah. You know, like, like trying to put your screws through dudes' heads every time. <laughs> and a lot of times and they would bring dudes in that were from other sports that hadn't grown up in that environment. Those dudes didn't want to take those shots. And now that you've seen they're like nobody hits with the head and they're trying to like yeah. you know, find people for hitting with the head and it's a lot of patty cake. Now these guys don't have to take, you know, the brutality of the game the way it is. And I think now you can Good see point. this like and, uh, you know, and w- whenever I say that or people say that, people are always like, oh, it's bullshit. And then you hear Tom Brady get up there and be like, no, it's fucking way different. And, and, and if it wasn't, I wouldn't have been able to play 20 years. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, if a dude played eight or 10 years, that was a long fucking career. And now you have guys like Tom playing, you know, having four legitimately Hall of Fame careers in one, in, in one, you know, uh, like in one twelve span. So only playing in college. I can't imagine doing that in NFL. Yeah. The way we played back then. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, I like, I mean, it, it, like when I came in, if a dude was in seven and eight years, it looked like he fucking aged in dog years. Like these dudes like, looked old. <laughs> they were fucking chewed up. They were beat up. Sure. And like I remember guys talking about like a 10 years is like this, like holy shit. And then you hear guys like uh, Bruce Matthews and Clay Matthews playing 17, 18, 20 years. And uh, they were just these like supermen from another planet that there was something genetic. And then uh, I remember Runyon telling me about Bruce Matthews that uh, like he was, man, like year 17 or something. And all of a sudden like, uh, and and I actually know why it happened, but they uh, his calf just fucking deflated and died, and they couldn't figure out why his calf what? wasn't firing anymore. Yeah. So they were trying to use like compression. Uh, since come to find out that if uh, the, the popliteus muscle on the back of your knee uh, becomes calcified and too inflamed, you can't unlock or lock your knee, and uh. you can't lock your knee, you can't get your calf to fire, which has ended up in happening to me. So like when they were 
Like I've seen my calf start to kind of do uh, this, and they were I always remember running and talking about him being like, "Oh, his calf just died." I'm like, "Fucking probably couldn't straighten his knee anymore." And uh, like you know that type of shit. Uh, but like like now you look at these guys, and like I was uh, God, what was the NFL game I was watching the other day, and like one of the dudes like is in his twelfth year, and he's only been a starter for the last couple of years. And they were like talking about this guy and his career and the whole deal. The guy was like an average player for six or seven years and then finally busted out in his eighth, ninth, tenth year. Like that never fucking happened because if you yeah. were coming in and producing from day one, like they just got rid of people. So he it's just washed like, out. How yeah. did the guy like that survive? Like, how did the guy like that uh, prob- not prob- wash out? Probably like a, he was probably the third guy in rotation as a three technique, you know, could play some nose, play some three, come in on different rundowns. And they're, so they're probably using him as like the third lineman in a three, four or four, three look. And, uh, you know, somebody got injured, might have got a chance, you know, brought him in and he was just kind of on the cusp. But, uh, fuck, I can't remember the game I was watching. That's all. Um, but, uh, like, it's, it's really interesting to see the way that the game has changed and not to say like any, any type is different because they had to make a change when you have that many dudes that start killing yeah. themselves. Like it's a fucking problem. And the NFL can only sweep it under the rug so much. It's kind of like, uh, you know, the NFL has a ton of fucking problems going and you just saw that whole deal with Gruden where they threw him on the funeral pyre and fucking burned him at the stake because they didn't yeah. want to release the emails that Dan Snyder, you know, they sift through 10,000 emails that involve, you know, Pat or uh, Dan Snyder, and then also Paul Allen. Yeah, Paul Allen. And what do they do? They just release all the fucking Gruden's personal emails. He wasn't even an NFL, uh, you know, employee at the time. Fucking eviscerate him. He was a Disney employee at the time. Yeah. And yeah, Disney. <laughs> yeah I mean, wow. yes, man. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> Goodell makes like 106, 100, 100 plus million dollars a year. Oh. He makes more than like. The top two players combined in the NFL per year. Yeah, yeah. Look it up. You're on the wrong side of the ball, man. Oh Jesus! <laughs> I, I, man. In in hindsight, I should have been way nicer uh, when I played, kissed a lot more ass, and got into the front office. I fucking should have. I would have loved to have been a GM of a team. Like the fact that you're Jeff- talking about the plot of the HBO show Ballers, starring <laughs> The Rock. Ah, uh, yeah, but he, dude, he looks like Michael Irvin dressed him. In, in all this, mm. have you seen the have, when you see ballers? 64 yeah, sixty four million a year. So he made one hundred eighty million in the last three years. Oh my <laughs> god! And, and yeah, and, I know. And Goodell is such a piece of shit. I uh, you heard me say it here, dude. I think he's a fucking lousy human being. And uh, um, <laughs> uh, like this like, is a great podcast. Well, no, it, it's true. I mean, so so his job. This is what's so weird. He is basically like the rat boy for all the owners. The owners are in this like really weird power struggle deal where they're all billionaires. They all sit at this table at the same deal and they're all collectively owners of this NFL and Goodell works for them. So it's his job to like be their mouthpiece, take their bullets, do all this deal. And uh, it's really pretty interesting. Is, is the NF- So the NBA, every team, so like the Charlotte Hornets, not so big market. They make the same as our L.A. Lakers. Yeah, is so, the NFL like that? Yeah, baseball is so, different. Yeah, so baseball, uh, they are like private organizations. The NFL has a collective bargaining agreement, and what what it means is all the teams come together, and like. But what's wild is that even though they share in the TV revenue, the teams how they make money independently of each other is really fascinating because they make it off of the stadium deals and and a bunch of side deals. So they share TV deals and contracts and like. Like the NFL money, they they get cut, but the teams have all these like 
insane fucking side deals that they where they just print money. So it's pretty oh, good. Wow. Man. I always I, I always thought, man, if there was any way I ever could be an owner or, or uh, you know, I'm probably never going to get a job. Not now. GM. You just what, the past tw- <laughs> two uh, minutes. I always thought that they didn't. So owners make good money in the NFL because I always thought that it was just people who bought, you know, who had lots of money who just bought teams just to like well, the, more of a beat my chest type uh, of thing. Well, I think for Dan Snyder, it was a uh, you know a little bit of fantasy football, but um, like the what's wild and what people don't realize is that the NFL is actually a charity. So they're a five hundred one c three, so they pay no taxes. <laughs> Every one of those teams is a charity. Yeah. So it's pretty wild that like uh, it's man like uh, like like digging into like the way that that not only. The NFL and the deals have been collectively bargained with the Players Association and the way that they've set up these these organizations and like the funnels and the whole deal is an absolute masterpiece of like financial uh, like discourse. Like it is unbelievable the way that they set this thing up. I mean, the only people smarter than them were probably like, you know, mob accountants who they probably, <laughs> which, you know, if you know. Maybe uh, they did. Well, well, Art Modell. I mean, dude, Art, believe me, Art Modell, gangster. Uh, you oh, know, connect, really? connections to the mob. Well, yeah. You know, Ray Lewis gets tied up in that deal where, you know, he's jacking the, where they, you know, kills those guys. He's on trial. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> and uh, Art Modell goes in there and that whole thing got sweeped under the rug. You know, he went on trial. Those guys turned. I mean, believe me, there's uh, still a lot of juice for that stuff. Wow, and nobody man. even talks about Ray in that one. Where's the white suit, Ray? Why are you buying hunting knives? Hey, winning changes everything. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. this is great i'm I'm learning so much so no well dude so uh we've already jumped in because we're old friends but uh for the people that don't know you and want to get to know you a little bit can you give us uh the elevator pitch and uh, introduce sure. yourself to the power athlete radio family sure um i'm coach travis mash uh, i started out you know, i played college football at Appalachian state went to um from there i went straight to colorado springs started doing olympic weightlifting with uh, west barnett was my first coach but a year and a half later, I was at the OTC as a weightlifter. Um, from there, I moved home because my father got sick. He got terminal cancer. So moved back to North Carolina. I couldn't keep weightlifting. Back then, there wasn't like a CrossFit on every corner. So you couldn't – basically, if you didn't live in like one of like five or six places in the U.S., it would be really hard to do weightlifting. So, I, you know, I went to powerlifting, um, won the world championship three times, broke Ed Cohn's all-time world record. Uh, a long time ago, but it's been crushed since then. Uh, now, coach weightlifting. I've coached a lot of other athletes too. I've coached a few NFL guys, but now I guess most people would know me for coaching weightlifting. And we, uh, I was able to start a university program, which was my goal all along to try and, you know, to give reason, athletes a reason to to do weightlifting. But so I started with a scholarship program at Lenore Ryan University in North Carolina, and here we are. We've got I've. Um, since 2015, produced 30 Team USA athletes, so we've got a got a pretty good record so far. And then we have a couple looking at the Olympics in 2024, but one real solid candidate. Okay. No, I always, pitch. I always think if uh, and and I've, I've told you this before on that. Hey, Power Athlete Nation! If you enjoyed this podcast and you're interested in supporting Power Athlete and getting involved with Power Athlete, myself and the crew here in Austin and in the global network. You can do it a few different ways. You can link on shop.powerathletehq.com. You can buy merch, you know, be the hammer, 
uh, Move the Dirt, all the really amazing merchandise that we put together. We also have the best training programs in the game. I think the most efficient, most powerful, uh, well-thought-out, elegant programs that you will find. We're easy to get a hold of. Just go to powerathletehq.com, look for training. It's going to take you over to our best-in-class partner, Train Heroic, where you can look at Jack Street. If you're just trying to put on thick gobs of muscle and you want to get jacked as fuck, Jack Street's your program. We got Field Strong, Train Like an Athlete. Allow us to foster and develop athleticism. That's really our flagship program for trying to make athletes more athletic. We got Bedrock, that beginner program. We got Grindstone for those of you guys that are in the fight. You need a flexible program that lives with you. If you're still into getting your face melted by the dirtiest, nastiest, saltiest wads on the planet, check out Johnny Wad. You're looking for a little bodybuilding, check out Johnny Bod. And if you're looking for a program, if you're in a situation where you go in harm's way, you're looking to kick in doors and take names and break hearts and all that good stuff, check us out at Hammer, the Holistic Athlete Movement Readiness Program that was developed uh, with some of the baddest dudes on the planet. So you can check us out in the programs. If you are interested in getting involved in the Block One Network with Power Athlete, you can first check out academy.powerathletehq.com. You can check out our methodology. And if you want to go that block one track, travel out here to Austin and prove that you are composed of the metal that we're looking for to be in our block one network. So we're easy to get a hold of. You can support us in any way. So if you uh, are enjoying this podcast and really like this content, find a way to get involved. Giving you a couple different options. We're looking forward to seeing you. Thanks. You know, on the podcast and and even being on your podcast that uh, getting to see what you do with your athletes, especially taking these like kind of like division two, division three football players that like might've had a chance at maybe one double a and bring them in and making them really good weightlifters was I think ingenious. Cause I've always said, if you could take those individuals, those guys that, you know, might not have been division one, but like still had the talent, but might be a little short and get them into something like, uh, I don't know, like a throwing or lifting or, you know, some of the other stuff, we're going to really Agreed. see some amazing stuff happen. But then selfishly like watching it, I'm like, fuck, I wish I got to train there. Uh, just seeing some of the stuff you guys do and the numbers, especially with the younger kids, like that was part of, as I was prepping for this today, thinking about like, what's the progression at what age do you get with them? Like, what does the training look like? You know, like just, I mean, I know people geek out on the X's and O's and it really comes down <laughs> to like consistency and effort and technique and, you know, not being able to, you know, run before you learn to walk. So I just like to get into a little bit of that stuff, but dude, I am uh, I am such a fucking fan. Appreciate that. Yeah, we have, well, for example, my own, I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old son, and they're already, I mean, when you say that they're doing weightlifting, we have a five-kilogram bar that they're, you know, playing with downstairs, but mainly we have them in gymnastics. So the progression would be until puberty, like playing with the bar, making sure that they do it correctly. You know, my, my seven-year-old especially, he can already snatch with, you know, better technique than most adults are going to see. And so, uh, but we have them doing gymnastics. We have um, a whole gymnastics set up downstairs in the basement and they go to gymnastics. They do jujitsu. So right now, just like any good parent, I'm trying to give them as many, you know, opportunities as possible, you know, f- to make sure that they're expressing, the, you know, their natural athleticism in a correct manner. And then as they get older, we'll see like, you know, number one, we'll see how they develop. I'm not going to be like where I had this preconceived notion of doing football basketball, weightlifting. I want to see how they develop and give them, you know, I'm not going to make them do anything, but I'm going to try to lead them in a way that, you know, is best for their design. Like here I am, 5'7", white guy trying to play college football, probably was fighting every genetic trait I had, you know. So, um, 
yeah, so I'm going to try to help them make better decisions decisions than me. But we're not going to go heavy until you know we got to let puberty set in. But till yeah, then, we'll, we'll have fun. Yeah, no. The uh, I remember when I found out I was having kids. Um, I'd been reading all these like uh, you know I think it came through. Oh, uh, Dr. Romanoff sent me all these kind of like uh, weightlifting journals and a bunch of stuff that they had done like uh, Abijay. No, it wasn't Abijay, but it was Mendeleev and a bunch of that like Russian weightlifting stuff. But I was always fascinated by like the development and like the idea of like gymnastics changing different orientations and the idea of like introducing some form of like athletic movement. And uh, they made a like a, a, I think, I think it was Romanoff made a pretty good analogy where he said, you know, if you look at boys and girls that did gymnastics pre-puberty, that once they get into weightlifting after puberty, they seem to put on muscle at a much higher rate. And he called it like almost like a priming the pump uh, effect of physical exercise and especially things that are metabolically demanding like swimmers. And um, it's pretty interesting. I went to last night, uh, I'm coaching my son's five-year-old basketball. So like now, which is wild, is, uh, you know, when we were kids, like, hey, uh, your dad's going to coach and your dad would just show up. Now you have to go to like all of these like trainings where you're going to like go and you have to like uh, listen to this dude talk about this and like, you know, go through and you have to sign these rules. And, you know, like uh, they're talking about like how to motivate these kids. And I sat there for two hours (laughs) last night and listened to this dude basically talk about how he just kissed like it's positive, but it feels like severe ass kissing. And I kind of wanted to be like, hey, uh. At which point are the kids being influenced to try to be some form of intrinsic motivation? All right. you're doing is you're on the sideline just acting like a cheerleader. And as an athlete, I fucking hated cheerleaders, like in terms of coaches. I just right. wanted, but maybe I'm different in that. I just want you to teach me the skills and put me in the best position to fucking win. And on game day, I don't want to get screamed at. All I want you to do is give me information on how to make me better. And as right. I listened to this thing yesterday and then like you got to go through and you're like, you will not touch the kids. You will, you know, like going through this whole list of things and you can't use sarcasm. And it, it was pretty interesting to see like, it's either a fucking lot of lawsuits or we're dealing with uh, a whole bunch of kids that I don't think would have survived in the seventies and the eighties. Yeah, no, I know it's, it's a whole different world. And like, that's what I really, I'm really scared to even try it, My son's about to do basketball as well. And like, I'm not even sure that I want them to do this youth, you know, league because I don't want them to start off on the wrong path. I, I really like the. I think so far. Coach, I, yeah. I think you got a coach because um, as I sat at this table with the other coaches, they, they were like, "Hey, break up into groups and discuss some of your coaching experiences." And the first guy goes and he's like, "Well, when I was in fourth grade," and they were like giving us like elementary, and then I realized that none of the people at the table had played any competitive sports past like middle school. And the one girl's like, well, I played freshman year basketball. And they come to me and they're like, what's your coaching experience? And I'm like, which one? Like, (laughs) I I, I was like, I I was like, yeah. And and then, uh, and then the guy, I was like, well, I I played in the NFL. And the guy's like, I knew it. I saw your name. I knew who you were. And I was like, oh, okay. You must be really into football to know who I am. (laughs) But it was, it was just interesting that like most people uh, like their experience. And then the other one, which was wild is they were talking about like fundamentals in this. And the amount of people in there that I would say were had some form of like physical culture mentality was really on the low side. So it was kind of interesting, but I'm, I'm going to do it just because uh, I want my kids to have a good experience. And they, they asked me, they're like, what's your coaching philosophy? I'm like, I just want the kids to have fun and I want them to have really good skill acquisition. 
Other than that, I don't care about wins and losses. Everybody should be able to dribble. They should be able to shoot. We're going to work fundamentals, and I want everybody to have fun, and that's it. I don't care about anything else. Agreed. But the, the problem is that you have the parents you're talking about, the ones who did not play. And so what ends up happening is they're in there for the wrong reasons. They're trying to relive that thing. You know, you know, they, it didn't happen for them. And so now they're going to, it's going to happen with their kids. And so I do not want my kids being caught up in any of that bullshit right there. It's because like, I don't, just because you didn't, didn't work out for you. I don't need you causing issues with any of these kids now. And so like, I don't want to be a part, part of that. that. That's what scares me right there. Some some parent, it did not work out for, and they're going to show you, they're going to show you with their kid. I'm like, man, Odds are your son is going to be just like you because he has your genetics. Yeah. And so, and no matter what you do, you're not going to do shit about that. So, yeah. well, the, the other one too, uh, which I thought was funny, the guy that gave up and spoke was dude. He was, uh, he's a like big black dude, like six, six. He must've like played some, I don't know. I got there a little late, so I don't know what he did, but the dude was loud. And the thing that he, what I thought was hilarious is he, he wrote out a contract and it's a, um, uh, uh, like basically like a, a deal that he made with the parents and he wrote this contract down and they'll have to sign it to be able to come. And it's like, you will not do this. You will not do this. And he gives them one warning, which is the day they sign it. And if they break any of them, they're booted and not allowed to come. And Sweet. He, he makes one of his assistant coaches act like the fucking bouncer. And if they show up, he fucking throws them out. I'm, I'm yeah. down with that. The, uh, Me too. Yeah, Travis, I encourage you to coach. There's different levels. So I was coaching middle school, now coaching high school lacrosse, so sport level. And dealing with the parents has been a challenge, but also (laughs) the coaches. So I think there's a lot of parents that that need this class, and it helps weed out the guys that are going to take it way too seriously because then it gives them – it's like they're swinging so far towards the left to try to keep it positive and a fun experience versus the uh the rules and kids these days individual coach and the observation from the the middle school transition to high school there's like a a breaking point with the kids and some hit it in middle some hit it in high school where like playing grab ass being at practice for your friends and teammates so i'm playing this sport because my friends i don't necessarily like it so they're they're in it for yeah fun playing grab ass and then they start to realize that when being fun is winning. Being fun is starting to be good. So like football, very physical, where lacrosse is right. physical but skill-oriented. So there's like an observational breaking point where, oh, I don't have to think about catching and throwing. It just happens. Well, like, in, and I, I think that's an interesting transition and, uh, you know, probably with the weightlifting too, where like people get into it and uh, um, fucking weightlifting is not easy. I mean, the amount of training and volume and just – frequency of training yeah. like it's fucking hard on the body and i know because we olympic lifted a lot in college and olympic lifted through the nfl and fuck i mean you over pull that bar and it crashes on you it's like a motherfucker so there's it's like a bomb going off yeah yeah oh yeah you got 400 pounds crashing on your chest it's not good but right. I, I think with sports and and whether it be a win, olympic weightlifting everybody in the beginning it's fun and then all of a sudden it becomes work and then the work is the only way for it to ever become fun again and I think where a lot of kids lose their drive and whether it be lacrosse or football or whatever, when all of a sudden they realize like, holy shit, for it to be fun again, I got to put in this body of work so I become good enough yeah. to make it fun. Mm-hmm. And then there becomes a time when all of a sudden they start paying you and it's not fucking fun anymore. And then you got to right. go out and search for new ways for it to make it fun by trying to go out and fucking beat everybody's ass. 
So I, I wonder with it, that piece in, in, in Olympic weightlifting, like, you know, because I'm sure you've had a ton of kids that show up and, you know, big vision of their eye. I mean, you know, stars in their eyes. They've seen the Olympics. They see CrossFit. They see what's happening. And then you get into it and you get into like a little bit of the Groundhog Day and you're like, well, what are you going to do today? Same thing we do every day. Squat, snatch, clean, and jerk. And then like exactly, all of a sudden, exactly. And then they realize like, holy shit, this is not going to change. Like, how do they personally? Every one of them starts out the same way. I want to be a, I want to be an Olympian. They all say that, you know, I'm going to go to the Olympics. And the, the sad thing is, is I know right away, 90% of them that say that aren't going, no matter what they do. And it's sad is because, you know, it's just like, you know, when you see when you meet a 16 year old boy, you know, probably if he has a chance at all of going to the NFL, you both like, if you'd met me and I was five, seven and white, you'd be like, come on, man. You know, you're not going to the NFL, you know? And so, like, unless I ran, like, a 4-2-40, which I didn't. And so, like, you know, I know most of these kids, it's not going to happen. And so it breaks my heart. But I don't, I don't tell them that. You know, I, you know, I let them push as far as they can. And normally, is they make the realization themselves. And so, but, but really, you know, a lot of them can go to – we can make a Team USA. We can make a junior t- squad or a youth squad. And, and through that, I'm hoping that they learn the basic, like, you know, how to persevere through you know, in life. So you, I do want, to, I do believe weightlifting teaches a lot of good, you know, characteristics that can, can stay with them through a long time is like, number one, it's just you out there. So you gotta, you gotta make goals, you gotta set goals. You gotta work hard. You gotta persevere when it gets tough. And like the only way to have a good time is go through that hell to get to that one competition where it goes well. And so there's a lot of good lessons to learn, but like, it's sad that some of them, like the things that they give up and do in the hopes, you know, especially I have kids move from across the country because, you know, parents want them to make the Olympics. And, you know, I don't have it in my heart to tell them the truth of like, you can move and you'll be pretty good, but you know, you're not going to go to the Olympics. It just, there's only four people, there's four boys and four girls that get to go to the Olympics. And you're not one of those four, man. I mean, like, what, um, uh, like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, um, you know, similar to the NFL, where which is kind of interesting in that, uh, you know, it's real easy to, to sit in the coach and be like, oh, all those guys are on a bunch of drugs. Um, but the thing which is different in the NFL is, I mean, one year I got ta- I got tested 36 times. So, right. uh, like, it's the land of genetic freaks where, you know, and there's like a, a pretty high standard for it. So, like, what you're seeing in the NFL is just that, like, the outliers, the evolution of genetics – and you're seeing just fucking superhumans. Yeah. Whereas with like Olympic weightlifting, like, uh, like I'm so confused on like the federations and how like Russia was pushed out, but yet they got to compete in the Olympics under a different name. Uh, oh, like, oh, like there's all this weird testing and like I like the IOC and this. I mean, it's it's like the most confusing thing I've ever been able to try to like dig into yes. is effectively like how the Olympics. <laughs> like it, explain it because dude i'm fucking lost like i don't understand the federations i mean i i saw the whole like doping scandal with uh with russia but yet Icarus, the, yeah 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 i just watched Chris for the first time because you know i'm i'm working towards a phd and i'm taking a you know ergonomics class ergonomics really all this whole another but which is learning about all of it me the while and I'm like man like how dirty like the whole it's not you think weightlifting it's that 
I tell you who the biggest gangster of them all is the International Olympic Committee, the IOC. Those dudes are the one who allowed who allowed uh, Russia after getting. I mean, it's not like it's a maybe. They were busted, boy. They yeah. they did this thing. You know, well, they and, and it was yeah. a uh, like a uh, like from the top down. It was uh, like from the president, bro. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it was Putin and a program put together right. to uh, doping to uh, subvert like the testing and the whole deal. And I'll tell you. Probably China is probably like, like the problem is China's just so far ahead that, you know, like they're oh, not yeah. going to get caught until 20 years later. But like uh, you, like you said, like there's like an IOC, there's all these local testers. These guys are in Uzbekistan. So then they're trying to send this and there's like yes. WADA and like, it just feels like just layers and layers of nobody knowing what anybody's doing. And it just right. looks really shady. It is very shady. It's- like when you have a um, a government sponsored program like in Russia or like China, and so and when the top down, when Putin, the president of your company or whatever you call him, whatever is the leader of Russia, like when the top guy says, "I want you to be dirty," I, and he even tells him, you know, because the the guy running the it was called Rusada, the Russian anti doping agency, says, "Hey, we can come off, you know, two weeks." And then uh, we can we can pass. And he's like, no, we're going to I want you all to figure it out. I want you to be on during competition when the dude himself tells you that. And then you make this like elaborate plan to be on steroids during the Sochi uh, Winter Olympics and win <laughs> this record number of medals. It's just insane. Of course, you're going to figure it out. And of course, you're going to find a way. You know, America's not that way. We do not have a government sponsored program. You know, we so we're we're definitely tested. You, you got we have the United States anti-doping. And all you got to do is go in there and look like we, we pop our own people yeah. like a crazy amount. However, for for, for fucking yeah. nonsense. Like, oh, I mean, yeah. It, it's like, oh, you uh, you took some cold medicine, and uh, yeah. now you're you know, now now you have a two year ban. I mean, yes. it's it's uh, it, it, like it's pretty interesting. Like like uh, NFL, same thing. Like when they pop guys, like when you see what they get popped for, and they and they never put it out. But it's usually just some fucking nonsense that even we isn't put a it out. Answer. Oh yeah, well well you guys do. They fucking put it out. Yeah, they well, these poor guys. So how I mean like how how do you create like like knowing that there's all these kind of clandestine organizations and these major state sponsored doping programs and like, you know, like you competing on this world stage in here, like how, like how does America compete on that standard? Or is it just the fact like, Hey, fuck, we're just going to have some superior athletes. We're going to bring them in and just fucking find a way to win. I do believe that we have, you know, superior athletes. We have, I think our coach used to growing up, we grew up thinking about how good the Russian coaches were. You know, we've all read all of their, you know, Russian manuals. You know, I don't care about reading anything they've written anymore. I think the, I would take an American uh, sports scientist over any Russian, any Bulgarian, any Kazakhstanian, you know, exercise scientist in the world. I would pick us by far. I feel like all of their stuff is based on doped athletes. And so none of that is relevant to anything in America. So, and now we're, we're battling. We're battling. Now you go to any world event and America is going to be in the top three. And we do not have that government sponsored program. If we did, we would definitely, not only would it be in the top three, we'd be winning. And that includes China. So, so what is it? Is it the fact that, um, you know, we're just, uh, you know, like, I always think too, America is so interesting in terms of like the melting pot that we yeah. hold, you know, send us your cold, send us your sick, send us your, you know, your weary. So we've taken all these different individuals, which is pretty fascinating. When then you, you, you look at the political stuff in this country, 
because, uh, you know, if you look at like uh, Sweden or, or Norway or Finland or any of those countries in the Baltic states, it's a homogeneous society where everybody sure. kind of looks the same. I mean, right. you, go to, you go to Japan and everybody looks the same. You go right. to China, same deal. But you have America where it's this huge melting pot of genetics and you're throwing that in and then you're allowing it, you know, professional sports, which I think uh, in terms of like high level professional sports, I mean, there really isn't anything better than America with the NFL, NBA. I mean, you see guys play in Europe who are pretty talented come here, but just a collection of Americans that are playing these sports is so fucking high. Well, we have a big country, number one. So we have a, a big pot to choose from. And, you know, I do believe that, yeah, we, we've, over the years, you know, the people who have, you know, ended up in America tend to have some high, some pretty high genetics coming with them. And then all we have to do is a weightlifting program is find that short guy that couldn't, isn't, you know, you find the five, seven guy who wasn't going to go to the NFL and he's pretty still a badass. He still was bad enough, you know, he still was playing division one football, just wasn't going to go to the next level. And that's who we get. So we still are working with some high level athletes. They just might be a little bit shorter, a little bit smaller, but uh, they have all the other things like speed and strength and, you know, the fast switch fibers, they have everything else minus the, the height normally. And that's who's going to be, you know, in weightlifting and the other uh, Olympic sports in America. So uh, with a guy like what um, the big six, six dude, Lasha. Lasha. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's what, uh, I mean, and when you said 400 pounds, I was, when I saw him, I was like, man, that dude's easily got to be 400 pounds. Yeah, he, he was uh, snatching 500 or damn near close to 500. Like it looked like nothing. Yeah, I think he's, you know, uh, gosh, what is his? I'm pretty sure he's getting close to that five. He's done 223 kilograms, I think. And it but amazing. I think in training. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, but yeah, exactly. He he's probably snatched 500 in training. They just haven't put the. Sure. Yeah, and, and he's probably damn. And I mean, he cleaned. I mean, I don't think he jerked it, but I mean, damn near 600 pounds. I think he's done like he's, you know, he hasn't missed in competition in forever, which tells you he's just, you know, he doesn't have to go hard. And so he's, you know, and he's the strongest heavyweight of all time in, you know, recorded history. So I think if he played in the NFL, I feel like he would do really good. You know, his hands, I've, you know, I've I've shook his hands and his hands swallowed my arm. He is just, he's just a giant. And when you get a guy that big, and can produce that much force and that much power and can move through that range of motion. If the dude can play at all, I feel like he would be a, he would hurt somebody, you know, but you know, once again, you got to get him on the field. You and I yep. both know you can have all these. I've seen some, I've seen some great athletes who could not play a, a down of football, you know, but man, I would I, assume I, this guy could. I've told these guys that uh, one day uh, when I was playing for the Eagles, uh, like it was like on like a Wednesday or Thursday, they brought some dude in, uh, signed him. He was in the weight room bench in like 585 for reps. Yeah. I mean, the dude looked fucking good. And yeah. we went out there and uh, he was D lineman, literally first place, stand straight up, trying to put his hands out like this. I hit him straight in the in the chin <laughs> and like tea kettled him. And uh, they cut, like after the beating we were laying on this dude, they cut him before practice was done. And we're like, yeah, man, you're going to get hurt out of here. You made a mistake. We got to get you out of here. So, like, yeah. I mean, and that's a dude with a 600 plus pound bench press, you know? Right. So, and so, People are like, you know, that guy was so strong. I'm like, ah, he passed the bus test. When they went to the airport, they knew it was him. You know, right. he's, he's the guy you want getting off. But at the end of the day, uh, this thing was about weightlifting. We would judge NFL players based on their Olympic or their uh, sure. uh, powerlifting total. Right. I mean, you know, and, uh, you know. That's I'm not sure the case. We, no. You know, you got to be able to move in different directions. I wonder well, where the, 
where the carryover is with Olympic weightlifting being so, you know, straight up and down. And you think about like, you know, uh, you know, basically vertical displacement within space and then taking that out and putting those guys into, you know, a more athletic training model, which is pretty interesting. I, I always, and I, I think I told this years ago, I never thought Olympic weightlifting was like a way to develop athletes. But if you take people that are already fairly athletic, it's an incredible, uh, you know, amplifier because if you ever see right. any of the videos of, um, God, and I, I remember Todd Rice in college, we had these videos. Uh, he had been, I want to say to like Bulgaria or he had been somewhere to go train with some people. And these guys were doing like snatch, clean and jerk. And I think they were snatching barefoot and then going over and doing some like hurdle hops. And these guys were right. jumping over hurdles that were like chest high. And like one right. of the dudes was like rotating in the air and they were just kind of, you know, smoking cigarettes and, and, uh, you know, landing in funny positions and off of one leg. And these dudes fucking moved well. And I always remember thinking like, are those guys just incredible athletes that found Olympic weightlifting or did Olympic weightlifting develop those guys into That's a incredible athletes? Baffling question because like, um, you know, with, with my own kids, it's like, I'm, you know, I'm doing that for them, but I'm curious. Cause you know, I have my, okay, let me, I think it's probably great athletes who found weightlifting. And here's why. Because, you know, I coach some of the best weightlifters in all of America. And you have them do anything outside of weightlifting, and it looks like, man, I swear they look like they're cripples or something because it's not pretty. Like, even like the guy, okay, I have a kid uh, who's, who's he's amazing. Now, depending on what you ask him to do, but, like, if you ask him to just, like, jump up and dunk a basketball, he would look like, you know – he had 12 left feet, you know, but, but yet he does a, he does a 40 inch depth jump, you know, Ryan, he's my top guy. When he does a, he, from the, he has the highest depth jump of anyone I've ever seen, you know, cause it's all over 40 inches after jumping down 45 centimeters. However, if I say, Ryan, you know, run up and dunk this basketball, dude would not even know how to begin to do it. And so like, I do believe it's probably a great athlete who found weightlifting that can do the crazy stuff because Ryan is really good at weightlifting and he can jump straight up, you know, but like you ask him to do anything athletically during that time, it's not going to happen. So would, um, would there be a point in like the training cycle where you trained athleticism more? And we do training? now. Yes. And yeah. Like I, I remember seeing like uh, uh, coach Bergner, you know, he was big into like the patch. And he thought that, like, you know, these guys moving over implements through space and, you know, different orientations thought of yes. could carry over. And I remember, uh, God, uh, Bergner made a funny point where he said all Olympic weightlifting makes uh, makes Johnny extremely unathletic or, like, makes Johnny a dull boy. He made some joke like that to me once. He's right. And yes. he's like, you know, these coaches realize, like, and, uh, you know, and, and, like, the Chinese do it, the Russians do it. Like, I mean, the Chinese, if you look at any of their bodybuilding stuff, and they send them to go train and do gymnastics and diving and send them to do other sports to try to maybe, you know, glean something out of it. So I think right. is is that, like, part of the – I'm sure it's part of your template now, but I wonder is that, like, in everybody's, you know, training no. program? No, it's not. But it, it's definitely mine after realizing that very thing. When I realized that, you know, just a weightlifter couldn't do – you know, just like I just naturally can do things like I can play basketball, you know, and I can dribble and I can throw things. I can catch things. When I realized as a whole that they couldn't, then we started doing more just athletic. You know, will it help weightlifting? You know, I don't know. All I know is it's going to make them a better human. I do know that it's going to make them just better. If they have kids someday and the kid wants to play sports, then these guys will be able to 
to do some things other than just snatch, clean, <laughs> jerk, squat, and just jump up vertically, and that's it. So even just simply as doing like broad jumps, you know, um, unilateral broad jumps, you know, jump, turn around, sprint, just, man, just make them athletic. I'm hoping, though, that it will help them improve their proprioception so that, you know, where they are through space. I'm hoping that makes them better at that because some some way that there's one big quality that can really, you know, get in, get in their way of becoming great is if any little thing goes wrong, they're going to miss it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, someone who's just a really good athlete can be in the middle of their of their lift and figure a way to still get the, the lift. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. you know, like – how they'll be like, you'll see them and the bars moving so quickly and they'll miss and you'll be like, why did you even, they're like something went wrong and messed them up mentally, you know, versus like a great athlete will still figure it out. They'll turn or they'll dip or they'll make a movement to still be able to get the, the lift. And so, so I'm hoping that it improves that ability. I, uh, but, years ago, I heard uh, Chuck Vogelpohl, uh talk about chaos training and what they would do. <laughs> and, you know, if you guys don't know Chuck, he's a fucking crazy person. He's my biggest competitor. He was yeah. that's who I competed against the most. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, probably one of the best squatters ever, but yet like never placed because he couldn't bench. Uh, couldn't you know, bench incredible deadlifter. So I mean, it was pretty interesting. He would just go in and just try to fucking squat the world and see if he could make yes. it for his bench. But uh, mm-hmm. he his training he he talked all about, true. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, chaos training. So he tried to add things to his training to effectively like pull him out of position. So he's the one that had that like chest thing called the Volga pole where the, like, the weight was way out in front of you and they would walk. Uh, they would like, you know, mix match bands and chains and do other weird things so that when you came out, the bar would switch. And uh, I just remember like listening to him talk about like trying to like control chaos in your training to try Agreed. to prepare for what might not be perfect. Like you might get underneath a bar that's been misloaded. Mm-hmm. You might get underneath and be one side too much. And like it was just, yeah, I thought it was, um, it was an interesting uh, approach. I mean, I think it's not for the the beginner, but like at a, at a super high level, when you're yeah. used to dealing with fucking you know Westside Barbell Louie and all the craziness, it probably made sense to add some control chaos into your training. Yeah, potentially yeah, there. Yeah, well, oh, sorry, go ahead, Travis. Well, I was just saying that a lot of times, like if things aren't perfect, the athlete misses. And so, like, I totally agree with him is that you need to put these kids in situations where things aren't perfect. Because, for an example, I remember at one competition, like uh, I heard one guy say the platform was slippery. And so here's what I did. I started saying that a lot. I'm like, I've almost, I would, I would come off the platform and be like, man, I almost broke my leg. I, and, but meanwhile, I'm getting all of my lifts. I swear, I, I bet 70% of those dudes bombed out that, at that very neat because of what I was saying to them. And because they were so mentally challenged, they couldn't figure out that I was bullshitting them. And so I'm like, yes, I definitely believe what Chuck did was a, a wise thing to do. So, I love, I love I that, cheat? Travis. I don't uh, know. No, I, I love it too, man. Well, a, a lesser version, say for, for working with younger kids or beginners, even talking during their lifts. So we run into a lot of kids and I mean, even teaching the seminars, John, if say we would give them a direction or a cue during the action, during the movement, they would stop completely what they're doing and just right. give attention. So a simple chaos training is even just getting them to continue to move as they're receiving feedback. So uh, side note, this is kind of not related, but Jesse Gray, remember Jesse? 
Oh, do I remember Jesse okay, Gray? So, uh, Jesse Gray, Danger Wad. Danger Wad, friend of the podcast, longtime power athlete. Uh, Jesse felt that it was impolite to talk to people, not looking them in the eye. So we were driving in his car and I asked him a question and he <laughs> turned his whole body to look at me and we were having this conversation and I was kind of like, at first I was like, what the fuck? Who was driving? He was driving. <laughs> And so then, like, the next time I asked him a question, he turned to me, and I was like, dude, keep your fucking eyes on the road. He goes, oh, it's rude not to talk to people. I said, <laughs> I was like, pull the fuck over. Let me drive, yes. and then we'll talk, because I'll never take my eyes off the road, and I can totally have a conversation without looking at you. But uh, I was like, yeah. Jesse, you are a fucking rare, rare, beautiful butterfly in a world of absolute fucking, like, cold and ice. The fact that he's yes. like, I, I felt it was impolite not to, not to look at you in the eye when I'm talking. I'm like, we're fucking driving. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll well, fucking give you this one. His side yeah. note, his dad is a world-class rugby, so he was part of USA Rugby for a long time. World-class yeah. rugby coach. Yeah. No, um, my favorite uh, – so Jesse was one of our original interns. He shows up to Newport Beach. Nicest dude. And he's there about a week. Uh, I've never been around Jesse when he'd been drinking. So he oh. goes down to, like, one of the local bars. And Jesse's a complete smartass, like, really good sarcasm, like, just has the innate ability to get under people's skin really quickly. Uh, rugby player. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. And – uh he like gets into some like shit talking altercation at the bar, goes to walk home, and like ten dudes drove up, jumped him, and almost fucking killed him. So the kid's there like two or three days as our intern, and he's like in the hospital, he's all fucked up. And I'm like, Jesse, what happened? He's like, I don't know. I was walking home, and these dudes jumped me. I'm like, I've lived in Newport Beach for years. I, I've walked home drunk constantly. I've never been jumped. What the hell happened? He's like, I don't know. Oh. And then he ends up healing up. We go out and get some drinks, and I'm like, Oh, I fucking know exactly why these guys beat the shit out of you. <laughs> And then uh, out of that gym, yeah, we had you, uh, uh, CrossFit football, we had Balboa, and then Danger Wad. No way. Yeah, what's what's more impolite, like to to not look at me or to kill me? You know. I, <laughs> yeah. Well, this this is a great segue. We were talking about earlier the opportunity as a coach. Uh, John's coaching youth. Travis, you got years of coaching experience. So the importance now of teasing, you know. Sarcasm, yeah. shit talking, not shit talking, but like That's in giving, this giving is in Jordan kids, Peterson's book. Yeah. yeah. So giving kids candor, Travis, like so they're prepared when an opponent gives them actual like demeaning feedback, they can realize like, oh, I know how to handle this. So the Travis, what's your experience of the importance of a coach like helping kids grow in character and receiving both negative feedback and like demeaning direction from no, their opponents? I've never really, you know, thought about it till you said it, but it's like a natural progression in my gym. It's like, you know, these dudes just talk shit. I mean, I feel like, you know, I'm sure it comes from the top down. I'm always messing with our athletes, but like, it's just always been a natural progression. And if I, I suppose that some of the people who didn't stay with our gym didn't like that, but like, you know, it's just who we are. Yeah. So like, I feel like um, it's just, I've been a, it's who I am. It's a, we, we talk shit every Friday. We call it max out Friday. And so it's like the day that we go heavy and people are going to talk shit. And like, there has been a couple of times where it might've gone too far, you know, and where like fights broke out and that's, I had to like say, Hey, that's a, that's a little too far, but you know, but that's also when you're trying to build the best in the world. I mean, we can talk about X's and O's all we want. I can talk about RSI scores. I can talk about, you know, tendons, tendon quality, tendon strength. But really, at the end of the day, when you throw a bunch of killers in the same room and you say, let's see who survives this, 
there's something to be said for that moment and that time and that place right there. That one quality might very well make every great coach obsolete, to be honest, because you you take that out and like you don't have anything. But well, the uh, there you go. The analogy I give for people, and um, uh, I've always owned pit bulls, and just because I think they're hilarious dogs, and uh, they just always have a funny nature to me. But what's interesting is over the years, uh, I've had certain pit bulls that when you go to play with them, they will never give up. Like my two dogs, when they play tug of war, my one dog will literally play until you he, until he's unconscious, and then he'll lay there with his mouth locked on it. Like he will not give up. And my other dog, after a few <laughs> minutes. He doesn't really care that much and he'll just go lay on his pillow. And over the years I've had yeah. certain dogs and like uh, I remember, you know, the people that were big into pits, they called it game. Like certain dogs have more game than other dogs. Like there's just yeah. something innate within certain dogs where and they they try to find those dogs and then they try to breed those qualities because that's like, a, a you know, like the pit fighters, you know, dog fighting that's which is fucking awful. But yeah. those guys want that type of mentality, um, you know, and I was uh, um Jeez, I think it was at Eggfest a couple of years ago. I was walking by and I saw this lady that had what I thought was a big pit bull, but it was really a Dogo Argentino. I don't know if you ever seen those big white Dogos. Of course, they're, yes, yeah. they're awesome. Like, yeah, they're like seventy hundred pound white yeah. pit bulls. And what they did is they went and they bred a bunch of different stuff. And they they were talking about that like with the Dogos, they were able to somehow breed in that game for them to be able to go hunt. And they, you know, and the guy got into this oh. whole thing. I don't give a shit. It was a beautiful dog, and if I could have like. Yeah taken him home, adopted him, or purchased him at that moment, I would have. But I think the same thing with football players, uh, whether it be weightlifters, there's certain individuals that have a tenacity where it's like, one, I won't let the weights beat me. I won't let an right. opponent beat me. And uh, I'll do you know whatever it takes to be successful. And uh, I don't necessarily know if like that attitude is fostered in kind and gentle places. Like I'm not, no. this, this isn't Cantillion where I'm trying to teach the kids how to dance and how to, you know, fucking prepare for a, a you know, a tea time in, in England. Uh, this is uh, an opportunity to go in and see who will compete and put them into a bit of, right. bit of a crucible and see who comes out on the other side. It's just so true, man. It's like I can, you know, every single time the one who can withstand that the most is the one who becomes the best. There's two athletes in my gym. One of them is the one I suspected. He's always been that guy. He's a shit talker and he just wins. He's going to win. You know, he's just every single year he wins more and more. And then there's another guy who I had no idea how good a warrior lifter he was going to be. I recruited him simply because he was pretty good and he would do, you know, I knew he would score for my team. And this guy, like he loves that shit talking. And I never would have guessed he would have. And he has risen to the top at a much faster rate than I ever would have dreamed. Like he's, and he happens to be one of the ones who just embraces that shit talking. And every time someone talks shit to him, I'm always now too, I'm also telling everyone else, be careful because this kid is like, there's something missing, you know, like <laughs> if you met him, you think, Oh, he's the sweetest, nicest guy, but you see him in my gym, that dude, there's something, there's a screw missing. And I'm always like, you should probably leave Blaine alone. I'm like, there's something not quite right with him. This kid is, he's become an incredible weightlifter. And I have to admit, it, it was the environment. It was not his genetics. He's got good genetics, but not great. He's like kind of strong. He's kind of mobile. He's kind of fast. And the dude is just killing everybody. So that one quality might be superior. Is uh, is there a difference? Uh, like, do you train your female athletes the same way you do you train your male athletes? 
And do you have a, like a deep pool of, uh, of girl lifters in your gym? I do, but I would honestly say that I'm not the best. Um, I shouldn't say this, <laughs> but it's the truth. I don't know that I'm the best female coach, you know, like, um, I'm just, a, I'm a guy's guy. And like, you know, I'm learning a lot because we recruited a lot of females this time. And it's been, it's been a challenge, probably the biggest challenge in my career as a coach. But I'm, better, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I hate not being able to do something really well. And now there's a few girls who are really getting good, but I still feel like I have a lot to learn. I think the best female way to coach in America is by far Spencer Arnold. Um, he's, uh, from Atlanta, Georgia, and the uh, Power and Grace is his team, and he does a great job with females. I mean, he's like, you know, he takes them on these again, you know, uh, overnight where they like talk about culture and community, and you know, it's just not my style, really. Um, but I'm trying, so I'm I'm getting better, dude. I, <laughs> I'm better, I, men's coach, dude. I I fucking know? hear you. I got I'm twin daughters. Say. I got twin daughters, and like I will tell you that. Uh, uh, being a father of daughters is by, you know, I grew up with older brothers, you know, I, uh, like I never even had a job where any, I even worked with any girls cause I, you know, I played in college then played in the NFL. Yeah. It wasn't until like I was in my thirties actually showed up at a job that had girls at it. Um, so it was right. pretty interesting in that way. And even growing up like there, we didn't have any female cousins. Like my mom was pretty much the only girl in our whole clique and, uh, having daughters, is really, really challenging in that, yeah. uh, like, like, like it's, it's really interesting. I think, um, little boys and boys will succeed in spite of people. Cause I know that was me. Like, if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to fucking do it. And I think 100%. like, and, and like my son has got that same deal. Like if I say, Oh, like, you know, like today he was, uh, or yesterday we were playing with Legos. I'm like, I don't think you can build that. And he's like, watch me. And he sat yeah. there and he was like working on his Legos uh, and my daughter's on the exact opposite. Yeah, It's like, it, it, I mean, it's like the, you know, I believe in you. Like, uh, I really love, like they, it, like the positivity is something and, and they really like, they want to do good. Not because like the, like, like my daughter's a good swimmer. I don't know if she loves swimming, but she likes that we go and we're proud of her that how well she swims. So right. like, it's pretty interesting where like, it just, yeah, I mean, like it's it's really been fascinating to be a, a father <laughs> of daughters, especially having twins, and like just realizing that all of the skills and all the ways I was parented and motivated over the last you know forty years in terms of like coaching and this is totally out the window in terms of how to coach and work with with daughters and, and girl athletes. You know, there was a time where I actually considered getting you know to say, hey, I'm going to turn the girls over to like a a girl coach, you know, but then I got mad at myself. I'm like, Oh, you're quitting. Like, you know, so I've really tried to double down on becoming a good female coach. And I definitely, it's just not my natural, it's just not, it's natural talent. It's definitely not my natural gift or talent for sure. Oh, no, dude, so I'm having to make myself. I'll, I'll just give you an example. So this morning, uh, like, uh, you know, kids are up, um, I like, um, my son wasn't feeling good. So kind of screwed my jam. So I'll have to train later. But, uh, I was like, uh, what do you guys want to eat? And my son was like, simple. He's like, oh, I want to have bacon and I want to have this. I'm like, perfect. My other daughter's like, I want a blueberry waffle. I'm like, we don't have any blueberry waffles. And like, I don't have any frozen ones. And for me to, t I don't have any blueberries. And if you want me to make you waffles on a Monday before school, it's not going to happen. Maybe Saturday or Sunday. I mean, just like, 
oh, and then like very upset that we don't have blueberry waffles. And I'm thinking, to myself, uh, like, we went to the store yesterday. You could have told me you wanted blueberry waffles tomorrow. And then it was like, well, I didn't know I'd want a blueberry waffle today, <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> and just like, and my son's over there and he's like, where's the bacon? I'm like, all right, we just get you all fired up. And then my other daughter's like, I'm not hungry. I think I'm going to eat uh, lunch. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And then she's like, where are my shoes? Why are you? And then I'm like, why are you only wearing one sock? I mean, like, I'm not kidding you. Like, like my son, I'm like, ah, oh, it's so easy. He just like, yeah, bacon. Let's play with some Legos. My daughter's over there having existential crises over blueberry pancake or blueberry waffles and not finding socks. And I'm like, right. like, and, and like my, my wife just kind of shrugs her shoulders and she's like, this is girls. <laughs> Dude, you know, and before everyone thinks I'm just like this, you know, I don't know, female, male chauvinist, whatever. Like yesterday, my daughter and I, I have, I have a two-year-old daughter who runs our family. She runs the show. Like yesterday, she put on some, some tights and had a meltdown because like she wanted to pull down to a specific spot of her ankle. She's two years old, mind you, but yet she wanted them on her hip at a certain spot. So the, they were too little for her. So then my wife was like, hey, let's get some other tights melt breakdown i mean i'm talking all out kicking screaming because she could got not get this pair of tights to go to the certain spot of her on her ankle on a certain spot on her hip and she lost her mind and my and my wife was even she'll tell you boys are much easier like uh, you know right now kelly hinsman will listen to this and be like i know what that little girl's going through at every moment of her life i want to cry too when i can't get my tights at the right height yeah yeah i'm like, like yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, I, uh, um, uh, I, I, I believe God doesn't throw challenges at us that he doesn't think that we can handle. So like, I that's think the he's way, really like, trying to push it with me right now. Yeah, so. uh, well, <laughs> I felt like that with the twins because, uh, somebody like some, somebody asked me like, Oh, how, you know, how's it have, um, how is it having boys versus girls? And my comment was I could have six of my boys for every one of my girls. Like that's yeah. the amount of effort and time. Like I could take six of these little knuckle draggers feed them bacon and let them go outside and like throw rocks in the pool and build Legos. My, uh, the daughters are, uh, like really interesting. And especially my daughters just turned 10, uh, the girls. So we were at like a charity event and, uh, my my Uh. daughter had this like really deep conversation because there were these boys that like her and she doesn't, I'm like listening to this stuff and I'm like, I'm going to give, you know, she's like, what do you think dad? I'm like, I think it's just a lot easier to like people who like you. And then, like, I think that's a, a good one. And she's like, no, it's a yeah. terrible idea. I'm like, all right, you figure it out. I'm like, you know everything. You're 10 years old. Tell yeah. me when you get there. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, I, I'm just, yeah. This is, this is this is a subject right now that's, like, heavy on my heart. It's like, this has been, this is the semester where I brought in all the girls. And it's been, but, you know, I will say, let me give a shout out to, to Liz. She's our team captain. Uh, and she's been a huge help. And Mallory, who's a freshman, uh, she's the youngest on the team, who's done a really good job of helping lead. And so we're getting better. But I swear, this first few weeks, I thought I was going to quit because, like, it was every day, like, they're telling on each other about something. And I'm like, you guys are in college. We can't tell on each other. Like, you guys got to handle this. Uh, like, yeah. So, so what's fascinating about girls, and um, if, if you go look at the studies, uh, even like later in life, like like men kill themselves at like was it five or ten times the rate of women. So like there's a lot more like men. And what's pretty interesting is like as you go through life, men become like very like individual kind of solemn creatures, and they don't have yeah. they don't make new friends well. They don't like open and share and like this. Whereas women uh, have like developed these 
like really interesting like social dynamics and friends and they can meet here and they you know are constantly doing stuff and it's kind of like uh, i run into uh dudes all the time where it's like um uh you know like uh oh your wife went out of town what'd you do i didn't do anything whereas if the husband were to go out of town the, the wife's got like friends to do this and here and we're going here and doing all these things so it's pretty interesting uh that and i i don't know whether it's genetic or whether it's how we're raised but for some reason as men age they become less adept at making friends and like creating interesting social structures yeah so whereas women you like, know like like girls yes. figure this shit out at a young age you'll see your little girl at like two three years old with other friends and they'll like sit around and come up with these complex games where boys are just over there like you know like i, I call them little knuckle draggers just over there picking their nose and like trying to like figure shit out you know right uh, that hit the hit the nail on the head with my whole family and me like you know, now I'm 48, and like we live in a we live on the lake here in Hickory, North Carolina, and I don't know one of my neighbors, and I don't want to. And it's like sparsely populated as is, and like the older I get, the less communication I want to have with other people. You know, like especially as a coach, I get all the communication I want to get. You know, at school, I get more than enough, as you can tell. You hear me, like you know, it's been such a challenge with this you know influx of females. But like when I get home, like I don't want to talk to anybody. And so like, yeah, I don't see me ever making any new friends anytime soon. Like, like I can live on a deserted island now that I'm at this point. <laughs> like, even thought about it. Like, you know, I thought literally during COVID, I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna buy a deserted island, move my family there, and not even worry about any of this. You know, like, like I would be all right. My wife would not, but I would be fine. So, no, women are just dramatically more social, and um, yeah, and and I think they. They talk about that like as men start having issues or they don't have people to talk to, they don't know where to turn, you know, and then by the time that happens, maybe, you know, don't have a good relationship with your father or maybe your dad's passed away or maybe you just don't have people to, you know, bounce people off of. So, I, uh, yeah. you know, and that was uh, that's kind of an interesting thing, but I've, I've noticed that too is, uh, you know, like you go out into the world, it's just, just interesting. I mean, I know you do a good job staying in communication with your friends. I do not do a good job. Me either. Well, I look for common places like the uh, the new Ghostbusters movie. We were big Ghostbusters guys in college. Now we got this new one coming out, and we're praying it's not as bad as the previous oh, take. Yeah. That was really wait, wait, what? There's a new Ghostbusters movie? Oh, man. So it, there's a preview yes. out. It actually comes out the 18th of November, and it's Ivan Reitman is hmm. the, the yeah. writer and director. He was the son of the original director. Yeah. So it's, it's laced with... Um, essentially the grandkids of Egon. So it's based off, he's using uh, part of his father's creation that, that's, to continue uh, on the legacy. Uh, isn't that um, uh, Ivan Reitman? Did he play Egon? Uh, no, that was Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis. But the original producer wrote this with Dan Aykroyd. That's right. So that's it's right. it's uh, Reitman wrote it with Aykroyd. And so now it's his son picking up his father's legacy. Is and Dan he, Aykroyd in it? And yeah. Don't worry? Yeah. So it's actually a continuation where the other one pretended the OGs didn't exist. Yeah, and they just became like a chicks, and they took their names. Yeah, that this was- one is uh, it's he's he's aiming to do like kids of my generation. I mean, even even you, John, like '84 was the OG uh, Ghostbusters. Yeah, I, I remember seeing it in the movie theaters. Oh, uh, yeah. me too. Me too. Yeah, aim is to to do us right versus just make money. Oh man, uh, I dude, I'm still sad I didn't get to see Dune in uh, in IMAX. 
So I, I got it queued up. I haven't watched it yet because I'm going to wait till Thursday night to watch it when the kids go out to dinner. But uh, just because I don't know if the Dune movie, maybe they're old enough for it. But yeah, that sounds like a good one. I would definitely. That does sound like a good one. We took the girl. I, I think I took the girls to see the Ghostbusters, uh, the the chick version, and uh, they hated it. They didn't even like it. They couldn't understand it. And they had seen the original Ghostbusters, and they thought Slimer was great. They all were like, "Can we oh, get a Slimer's pet Slimer? back?" Honestly, I don't know this one you're talking about. Like, I know the original, you know, Ghostbusters, but there was one made where they did not have the OGs in it. Yeah, they they basically replaced yeah, I'm, them. I'm glad with, I did, but with women, and it was really confusing. Uh, did I you mean, see? I saw it. I have no comment. <laughs> Smart uh, this man. Is, this Smart is like man. Indiana Jones, the Crystal Skull. I got no comment. I'm good. <sighs> just pretending I never saw it. Yeah, that was a bad one. Even after, I mean, the, the Last Crusade was so good. Dude, yeah, that was the best. Sean Connery, just. <sighs> Yeah, feel good just ending it. Um, like, why do you got to recreate all this? Just to make money, I guess. Uh, well, what they're doing is they're trying to play upon nostalgia. So Pray. They're, they're you pray- mean preying on it. Well, what they do is is they figure it's easier to kind of go back in time and try to like reboot successes because they feel like it has a greater chance of survival and like strength. But Like Roadhouse. <sighs> they're remaking Roadhouse, no, Travis. I just don't think they should remake yeah. some movies. No, that dude's dead. You can't do that now. It's, it's, you know, They're going to put dead. Ronda Rousey in there. No, no, no. Oh, that, that, come on. That, uh, that got nixed. It's Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, as Dalton. As he, Dalton. Well, uh, like the um, – God, what was the terrible movie? They tried to remake Point Break. Yeah. Yeah, but it, I saw it, that. It, it, like they, they just used the same names, Johnny Utah, but there was nothing about it that had to do with Point Break. It was no, no good. They, they could have called it anything. And, and, we, and, and it would have been, been better. better. It would have been better. <laughs> I was mad that they called it Point Break because there was nothing about Point Break in this. Yeah. Man. Do something Point Break-like, but don't call it Point Break and not Breaking have the point. same dues. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, anything but Point Break. And like Bo yeah. Zeffa is like some dude from like the Yucatan. Like, yeah, that would, I did like that movie, but it shouldn't have been Point Break. Hey, did they come out with a new Top Gun? I think they were uh, talking about. Not yet. It's, so it's it got pushed back due to due to the uh, coronavirus. Corona, Man, yeah. the previews are unbelievable. Yeah, it actually looks. But here's the deal, Travis. I trust it. Tom Cruise can do no wrong. He refuses yeah. to make a bad movie. Uh, and you know what? He took it by the horns and said, "Hey, I'm not going to do this unless I get to fly the jets." And As fucking, he should. And they got yeah. a jet qualified. He's like, "I want the shots to be real. I'm flying the jets." And you know what they said? Oh, no problem. What you're telling me that he's actually flying the jets? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No they shit. they took him in. He went through all wow. the training. He became jet qualified and is like the only civilian, like non military civilian, to ever fly these jets. Like I was what reading something ass. about like like they had to like uh, uh, like he had to personally guarantee the money. Like it was pretty interesting. And he was like, "I'll sign whatever you want. I'll write whatever to check you want. Don't worry, I can fund whatever you want." I'm, I'm gonna fly the jets because I want the scenes to be real, and they fucking let him do it. And dude, the preview or the preview, the trailer is unfucking believable. It's awesome. I can't uh, wait to see. Bold, that. bold prediction. I think Tom Cruise is some mastermind evil villain. He's pulling all these strings to cause all these problems in the world, in real life. He's doing all the training, flying the jet, so that the, he can pose as the hero. He jumps in the plane. He drops the bomb, like in in Star Wars, to blow up our evil Death Star, whatever it is from some foreign country, and then we all praise Tom Cruise. 
All of this is all a sham by Tom Cruise. Uh, I'm, not mad, I'm not mad at it. And like, he's filming it, if and Tom, it's going to be a doc. If Tom Cruise is the hero we get, I'm okay with it. Me too. <laughs> yeah, he's Strangely. the hero we deserve. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, like, I have to say, as crazy as that dude is, like, that dude's a badass when it comes to making a movie. That his, um, the, well, what, he, the obsessiveness he actually, of, of him makes him great. Well, he, uh, the thing I appreciate about him is he's constantly in this idea of skill development. So he, uh, I, I watched him on sure. some interview where he's like, whatever the major skill is that I don't have going into the movie, I want to become the best in the world at it. So like uh, all the Mission Impossible motorcycle stunts mm-hmm. and, and skydiving and the skydiving and all that. He's like, I, he goes, if I had the opportunity for skill acquisition, I want to become the best. And they had like some of the skydiver dudes be like, fuck, dude, he's really good. Yeah. And it was like 80 wow. hours of training for eight seconds a shot with a, a mask that he developed. He funded to so develop you could see his, his whole face. So you could see his whole face diving from the plane. Yeah. Oh, man. That's I, it. I just love the attention to detail. I've gotten into some uh, some informal arguments with people at drinks and dinner. And then the females hate Tom Cruise movies, hate Tom Cruise. And I'm like, look. You're are, taking are this you serious? Oh yeah, I, you're taking I, like. I hope you threw them out of the house and punchified their faces. I yeah, turn my back. This conversation is it's over. over. <laughs> the but their thing is like, oh, he's crazy. Katie Holmes, blah blah blah. I'm like, I don't care about his personal life. Yeah. The man, he and Mel Gibson. I don't care. They refuse to make a bad movie, and I love. It. <sighs> did you? I mean, uh, I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, did you guys see the Santa movie with uh, Mel Gibson? I did not. It's fucking good. He can do no wrong. Dude, it's good. Yeah. I didn't, he, no, he, I didn't see he makes a movie where he like plays Santa, uh, except it's a complete fucking like full on war assault movie where he's Santa and like this guy who's like felt like Santa <laughs> wronged him is like a serial like assassin killer and gets hired to kill Santa by some rich kid. And then like basically the guy goes to the to the North Pole and Mr. and Mrs. Claus and the elves are like fucking like a tier one operators. This is of course. Awesome. Dude, it's it's fucking great. And like somebody did die. some drugs to think Dude, about that it, one. Uh, like I like I imagine whoever wrote the movie like goes and pitches the studio and they're like listening to it and they're like, man, I don't know anybody crazy enough to play this. And they're like, there's one. There's one. Mel Gibson <laughs> will fucking do this and he's gritty enough and salty Ray enough. Hart. So so when you see any of those pictures where Mel Gibson looks pretty jack with a big beard that's when he was training. Uh, I think Gunner posted a picture when Mel Gibson was training with him where he's looking pretty yoked out at like 60. And uh, that was when he was getting ready for this. Uh, it's called Claws. It's called Fat Man. Fat Man. That's it. So that's his uh, uh, like his call sign. Here's well, the plot. Tell- wait, wait, listen, listen, listen. Here's the plot. Travis, real quick. The, a rowdy, unorthodox Santa Claus is fighting to save his declining business. Meanwhile, Billy, a neglected and procurious 12-year-old, Hires a hitman to kill Santa after receiving a lump of coal. Sign me up. Oh, it's dude. When I tell yeah. you it's good, it's like, it, uh, like I love the Patriot. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's me like too. as fucking bloody and battleish as like the Patriot mixed with like a Rambo movie. What? It, I'm not. I'm not kidding I, you. Like, like I, I, I forgot where I was where I saw it. I was uh, it like I, it wasn't on like a movie theater or something. I saw like, uh, oh, that looks pretty. Pretty good. And I turned it on and was like, this is the best. This will be my new Christmas Die Hard movie. Here's here's my new genre I'm all in on. Fantasy, action, comedy, thrillers. (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, ten years ago, that wasn't even a thing, was it? Like, I think it's genius. What, what else I is in that genre? Uh, this is it's a standalone. <laughs> it's just this one movie. I hey, think, <laughs> like the new Ghostbusters sounds like it'll be in this new genre. Oh, dude, when uh, when we were kids, like, do you remember the second Ghostbusters with Vigo, oh, the oh, Carpathian, okay. and that whole yeah. thing? Oh, yes. dude, we love that movie. And like his whole thing of like on rivers of blood, and we used to quote the shit out of that movie. That was one of our favorites. Oh yeah, we quote that as well. The uh, the artist uh, essentially walking by the painting and all his artists in his, in his shop or whatever the the, the studio. And he looks at one person. He's like, "Everything you're doing is wrong. I want you to know this," and walks away. <laughs> so that became if we were coaching kids like as a fundraiser for college, we just. Pretend to be that guy and, and hammer these kids. They had no idea what we're talking about. Everything so we laughed. Yeah, wrong. but now you can't do that. So, <laughs> so, I, so I beg to differ. So the rule, and this was uh, Travis. You should implement this today in, at, at practice. The new rule <laughs> is for every five uh, for every five comments that fill the gas tank, you're allowed one comment that basically drains the gas tank, like. You're amazing. You did so good. I'm so proud of you. That was a great, you know, a technique. Um, you know, you're doing fabulous today. And then, and then you get one. Uh, your hips were in the wrong place. And like it was funny as they were going through all these examples, and I was like, I haven't heard a single negative yet. So, so wait, telling a kid that his how hips bad are, can it get? Well, I was thinking like if if the negative that you're giving of like draining the tank is coaching their technique, I was like. Uh, I like, I was imagining when they were like talking about draining the tank, they were like, you know, give us some examples of draining the tank. Oh, you're not playing good. And all these people, I wanted to raise my hand and be like, I was 15 years old and had a coach tell one of my teammates, uh, I'm going to rip your balls off yeah. because you're such a pussy and, and yeah. I'm going to rip your balls off so that you cannot infect the world with your fucking level of pussydom. Yeah, and I then mean, and and then yeah. he also told him, when your mom comes to practice today, I'm gonna punch your mom right in the face for giving birth to you. Yeah, right. That's where. Yes. I mean, that was like when when I was imagining like draining the tank. That's, that's what, what I was, I was imagining. Me I, too. Uh, but he he's filling up all the teammates around him. <laughs> Guesting. Because we're all laughing. Uh, dude, my, my other favorite one is I heard a linebacker coach tell uh, his linebackers, "You guys are." You, you guys are the nicest linebackers I've ever seen. You're so nice. I'd let you date my sister. Like okay. I, I like I thought that that was filling the tank, but then turns out that's a negative. That's a negative. Yeah. That so is, I, I'm, I'm totally confused when these coaches or these guys in the room were like, "Give us examples of negatives." I was imagining like, well, you know that type of stuff. Travis, did you see the University of Texas football players film their coach post game? Yeah, it was there. Ripping them a new one. So they were on the bus. Uh, Texas is fucking awful. Uh, like yeah. it, it's it's fucking embarrassing to it's like. Damn shame that they are with all that money too. Oh, I mean, with, with all the money, there. the facilities, like yeah. the like the uh, uh, the branding and the history and just the amount of like fucking like energy around maybe a potential successful program, and they suck, which is really fucking it's a travesty. It's a problem. But they bring in these coaches and the D line coach. Uh, I, I don't know, but he, he he's on the bus. And I, dude, I've been on many of buses where a coach has fucking literally tore us a new ass. Like, sure, like that was, too. you know, except these, uh, just to give you a quality or a quality check of the level of character on that team, some fucking dipshit in the back turns his phone on and is videoing laughing and then fucking has the balls to post that shit. 
And they're like, you know, oh, you know, he, you know, he, I'm like listening to it. And I'm like, first of all, he didn't say anything bad. I mean, I, I, I've been on buses where I've had legitimate coaches call players out and tell them, I'm going to fucking take your scholarship. You're a worthless piece of shit. I mean, the coach didn't do any of that. All he talked about was how embarrassed he was, how he feels like he got his ass kicked. Yeah. And more importantly, how upset he is that these team isn't taking this more serious. And the guy's fucking pissed. And I'm listening to it. I'm like, he didn't threaten Agreed. anybody's life. He didn't, yeah. he, he didn't threaten the life. He didn't threaten the scholarship. He didn't call anybody out by name. And he didn't fucking challenge anybody to a fight. I don't even think that that was necessarily a rant. That was just like a, sounded like a Monday morning truth. meeting. Sounded and, like truth, right? And oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and the the fucking comments. I can't believe they talked to the players like this. So he and was. He I'm was, like listening to this, and I'm like, first of all, we should have uh, uh, a service on your computer where I should be able to buy punches, and I buy that, and then that p- person gets punched through their well, computer. punched so right in the face. If right. if you Google his name's Bo- Coach Bo Davis, football Texas football rant, like you'll find it. Our producer Charles is going to splice this into the YouTube video or the audio listeners. Do you think he can do it? I don't know. I don't, I'm about to go Bo Davis on him if he doesn't. Yeah, you need but to fucking. <laughs> I kid, bust but, the cap in your um, But yeah, the uh, and the kids are laughing, Travis. It, it hurts. They're laughing while they're laughing at this coach. Oh yeah, to them. Yeah. Oh man, uh, dude, I'm I'm not kidding you. Um, there was a a time in football where if that had happened and kids had been yeah. laughing. You would have had captains on that bus get up and Beat fight those kids immediately. Yep. Uh, yep. As a, as if, if I was on that team and I had been listening to this and it actually played because it was probably a bunch of kids that didn't fucking play. And if I saw somebody filming in the back, I would have gone back and gotten a fucking hellacious fight. And I would have thrown the phone out the window. Yeah, one. I would have thrown the kid out the window. And, and Davis yeah. himself as a coach, national champions, uh, Alabama staff, LSU staff, a professional experience Miami Dolphins under Saban staff. So like th- his experience. He he knows. Yeah, he, he knows, knows a winner. He, he's and a loser when he see one. Yeah. He's confused about what's going on. That's the thing. He's like uh, you, know, you know what? I what's wild here at Texas is uh the facilities and like just the like the culture around Texas football when these kids come to Texas, like the first day they show up, they're champions. Like I've like I've, I've already made it. Like like coming to play for Texas is like getting drafted in the NFL, and those kids have that mentality. And I wonder how long a team has to be bad before, like, th- like that either changes. that changes, or yeah. or as a coach, how do you go out and find players that don't subscribe to that? Like I, I don't know. I, uh, like that's the, I mean, because it's I mean, dude, they have they check all the boxes. I mean, we we went out and hung out with their strength coaches who are fucking quality individuals. And, um, you know, they brought in, you know, Sarkeesian, which is uh, pretty interesting because uh, uh, he grew up down the street from me. I played against him in high school. And then he went to junior college and went to BYU, I think. And uh, and then, you know, got out and now he's a head coach for this. But it's pretty interesting. Like, he had a lot of issues at USC and has had his whole kind of, you know, interesting kind of comeback. But I wonder... Like, how do you change culture? And um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of put I'll kind of put that on you for you know, as a you know, head coach and you know, working with weightlifters. Well, like, a national champion, yeah, weightlifting coach, national yeah. men's team, yeah. Like, how like it is it? You know, does a culture come from the top? Can you change culture? Do you bring in guys that are effectively hurting your culture and you get rid of them to protect it? Like, as the kind of the mastermind behind it, give us a little bit of insight. 
you know, I think one of the first things you have to do is like, you know, you got to find a way to, you know, get away from football and practice and get to know them on a personal level. And then you ask them, you know, ask your top all the way from the top down to the bottom. Like, what is your idea of, you know, of culture? Like, and really ask them to tell the truth. Like, what is it, you know? And then see, maybe you've got the wrong players, you know? Or number two, maybe you've got a couple of the wrong players that are happen to be super good. And then, it, yeah, then it's time to make a change. But, uh, but yeah, get an idea. Maybe you've got a, maybe you've recruited a bunch of awesome athletes that could care less about winning, you know? But, like, maybe their culture is just they're excited to be at, University of Texas, but you got to get to know them and ask them openly and honestly, you know, like what that is. You wouldn't believe some of the answers you'll get. Like we did that, and like, um, you know, I'm not going to betray their trust, but like, you wouldn't believe some of the answers that I got. It was not what I was expecting, you know, being from someone who was used to winning and like, you know, even at Appalachian State University, you know, we have a very good culture of winning, you know, for a small school, you know, you know, it's small smaller program like we were trying to win you know and back then it was one double a so we were trying to win the national championship every single year and then now we win a lot of ball games for the size we are but like you know it's just different you know now and so like the boys team last year that won the national championship all had very similar answers however this new team the new but the girls did not, you know, say the things that I was expecting. And so, you know, now I come to the point where do I, you know, do I make a change, a big change? And so that's where I'm at now. But he would need to start there. You'd be surprised. Your top your top athlete might very well not have the answer you're looking for. They so then what do you do? Be, I mean, it, is it mentoring them? Or do you realize, like, hey, man, like, you got to break a lot of eggs to make an omelet. Sometimes this egg doesn't need to be here. I think sometimes you got to say that egg doesn't doesn't belong there yeah. you know you could try so you could you know once you see that that you maybe your top athlete doesn't feel the way that they should or the way that you saw the team going so you might want to like you know at that point break them you know get that athlete alone and talk to them about it and then if you don't see change or even see them desiring to change that's the time to make a change i think you know and like i feel like um and then being very careful it's not if i was that coach I'd be very careful on not just recruiting talent. You might want to really consider the the attitude and a person's thoughts on winning and not just, oh, they're, you know, they're the best receiver in the country, they're the best 5A recruit. You might want to start looking at, like, what, how does that dude feel about winning and how does he feel about, you know, what a team should be like and, like, maybe start doing, like, personality tests. It's, it's as sad as that sounds because like things are so different now than when you and I were playing football, you know, it's just, it's just way different. And so you're going to have to get deeper into the psyche of these athletes. Well, so, um, what's always kind of wild is, uh, I remember like, uh, you know, when I started playing football, I mean, I started playing as a freshman in high school and wasn't very good. And I just kind of knew that, you know, over time, like it was fun and I'd get better. And it was right. wild because a bunch of guys that I that were on my freshman sophomore teams, uh, they had played Pop Warner football, and they had gone and won like a national championship, or I think they had like played in like the the final for the national championship. So they were like the the top team, like this, you know, west of the Mississippi, and then they went to somewhere in Florida, and I ended up getting their ass kicked. But like they had had a ton of success as this team, and it was over the course of about four years. So then we got to high school, and all those kids had been playing football for years, and so they were all pretty good. And they had already had a click and I wasn't in it. And uh, it was pretty wild. Like all of a sudden, 
you know, you start lifting weights and everybody's getting bigger and like, you know, all of a sudden I'm growing and now I'm like six, two and these guys are still five foot six, five foot seven. And they were <laughs> good. And, and then all of a sudden, like, uh, you know, now we're going to go play against varsity and, you know, certain guys got brought up and they didn't. And a whole bunch of them just quit football and we're like, Oh, uh-huh. it's not fun anymore. I don't want to play. And, uh, my thing was like, man, I'm just getting started. And it was still fun for me, but I wonder if it was fun because I was able to grow into it a little bit. And I sometimes think like, you know, with Olympic weightlifting, if guys are coming in and all of a sudden now, like, Hey, you know, they're new to it, the techniques getting better and they're like progressing as they should. Uh, I wonder if like, that's That's a fun piece. Whereas like, you know, you get some guys that are kind of come in and they've kind of maxed out their potential. And, and at the time when it should be fun, they're fighting for every ounce, every kilo and then you're watching other guys that are just kind of like sailing through it. And it's a lot of fun because every time I'm coming in, like I, I'm not kidding you. Lifting weights was by far one of the greatest experiences of my life. Because every time I went in the weight room for about four years, I PR to lift. Sure. And then like I, I remember the first day I benched 115 and then I benched 315 when I was a senior in high school. And then I benched 500 when I was a senior in college. And like there was like this kind of linear progression over time of strength. And I remember being like, this fucking weight room is great. Because every time I come in here, I PR something, and then I'm able to go out and use it on the field. And then all of a sudden, you get to a point where you're like, shit, I mean, if I put three, five pounds on a bench press in a year, I'm fucking excited. And so, yeah. but, but you get to that point where you're like, okay, hey, like I, I've done the body of work. I know what the fucking deal is. I'm not a kid. Whereas I wonder if like I had hit that years before, if I'd been like, fuck all this. You know, it's a question that I've recently been asking, you know, because I, I, if you look at the Olympic team from, uh, well, it's 2021 because of COVID, but like two of the athletes were started really young. You got uh, Harrison Morris, and you got CJ Cummings, and then two of them, uh, one of them started a little bit later, like in high school, kind of like you did. And then one of them was Wes Kitts who played college football. Yeah. And you, you think about like two of those boys, Harrison, uh, the minute the Olympics was over, packed up and went home and quit weightlifting forever. You know, CJ Cummings, um, he just, he was at the uh, senior, I mean, the senior Pan American Championships with my guy Ryan, and he didn't make weight. And he's talking about, like, not unsure if he wants to keep weightlifting. And, like, these are, you're talking about 20-year-old kids, and, like, they're already hating the sport right when they should be peaking. So the answer is I'm not quite sure at this point, I would have, if you would have asked me two years ago, I'd have said, no, 100%. Start on young, look at Harrison, look at CJ. So, but then now that I see what I'm seeing, I'm not sure. I would say wait a little, a little bit longer. Ryan started when he was 15. So he was, um, you know, like you, kind of like ninth grade year in, in high school. And, you know, he, you know, had, had a lot to learn and has progressed at a, you know, a little bit different pace than these guys because like Harrison and CJ by the time they're 16 and 17 years old there's like unbelievable there's some two of the best in the world here they are three or four years later and they're done right when they should be they should be like in the next four years should be that should be when they peak as athletes and we won't even see that now because why you know, one of them for sure is quitting so why well, I mean like uh, like I uh... I don't know. I mean, uh, like, I wish there was a good reason for it. Cause I always think about it. Like, why is it that, you know, is it the, is it the late bloomer mentality where all of a sudden, like, you know, you find success later, whereas sometimes when success is too early and you don't have to develop skills to work hard, maybe yeah. it doesn't happen in the same way. Like, uh, um, just a side note, uh, last 4th of July, I was going and buying fireworks 
And the dude standing in front of me, I was like, fuck, man, I've seen this dude. I know who this guy is. How the fuck do I know this guy? And uh, it was funny because he like got all these fireworks, went and jumped in his BMW and like sped off and he left his credit card right there. And, I, and I, as the lady like walked over, she like picked up the credit card. She's like, it's yours. And I looked at the name and it was Pat Mendes. <laughs> yes. And uh, then about like, you know, three minutes later, he comes fucking tearing back down in like this black BMW and is like, where, you know, freaking out. We're looking for his credit card. And the lady had it. But it was funny because I saw it and I was like, fuck, that was uh, John Bro's. Uh, John you know, Bro's lifter. Yeah, the guy, like, I mean, what was he, like 18, 20 years old, had all that success. And, yeah. uh, you know, ended up, you know, I think he ended up, you know, getting test positive or something or whatever. That's what but, like, had all, all the fucking talent, talent in the world and just shattered it on the rocks. And, shattered it on the rocks. He broke the world record. Well, I mean, he did it in a video. Like, he snatched the world record at the time. And everybody thought he was going to be like this unbelievable athlete, but then he got popped and that was that. But I, I like Pat Mendez. You know, I just think he's a guy who, you know, didn't like what we we're talking about earlier. Didn't like the fact that he's having to go head to head against, you know, some Russian or Chinese person that's on. And he decided to live that dangerous life. And it's hard to do that in America, man. You're probably going to get popped. So Yeah. And, and also, uh, you know, bros used uh, a lot of that Bulgarian stuff where it was like squat every he day. Did. And I, I, I like, yeah, I've spent a lot of time with Dave Spitz and he, you know, he's told us a bunch of Ad, uh, Abijayev stories and like, just kind of like understanding the Bulgarian system. Yeah. And, he had him over here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they brought him over cause they wanted to do the training and he realized that like the training, like it was complete fucking facade that there was a word that the Bulgarians had, which was like basically sure. sandbag where like they go in and they were sandbagging every single day and like, you know, like sandbagging a lift so that they could make progress and look like they were, you know, faking it. And, uh, he's like, dude, it was impossible. And, you know, especially asking drug free lifters to do that was next to impossible. Yeah. yeah he talked to Piero Zimas. Like I got him one time to sit down, you know, cause he did the Bulgarian system. And when he was in Greece and I, I said, look, can I ask you some serious questions? And he said, yes, ask me anything. So I literally ran to my room, got pen and paper and like I spent hours asking all these questions and yeah, it's a facade, but he would literally like uh, pretend he was going all out and then he would, you know, he would go and do, you know, other things like more volume, like, you know, he would do like, you know, push presses and, you know, accessory work that he wasn't allowed to do. Yeah. It's just, a, it's just, you find an athlete that's smart, like Piros, who's going to learn to like, you know, show the coach what he wants to see. Meanwhile, was wise enough to do other things on the side. Crazy. Man, the uh, uh, the Pierce Demas uh, training videos of when he was younger. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jesus. I mean, you My want to talk about athletic and explosive and just an absolute like like uh, like. So in the power athlete world, we talk about you know athleticism, the ability to you know uh, seamlessly and effortlessly combine primal movement patterns through space to accomplish a known or novel task. And what's so wild is. Um, you know, fitness is quantifiable, you know, everybody's got their own definition, but athleticism is impossible to define because you only know it when you see it. Like you can see somebody pull a bar, you can see them take a step, you can see them jump, you can see them just do something. And instantly our brain takes in this information and we see this like, like a symmetry, the beauty, just the, the ease and elegance of what they're doing. And we actually interpret that. And it gives us like an interest, like a good feeling when you see it, I'm sure I'm sure you bring in people and you see a move and you're like, oh, and you see other people do things and you're like, yeah, like you take a nice deep breath and it's so like uh, just gratifying and exciting and just 
it, you know, it's like seeing something beautiful. Like the, the analogy right. I give them is like, I can, I'm not a Ferrari fan, but if I hear a front engine V12 Ferrari drive by, I know exactly what that sound is and you it's know beautiful. exactly what it looks like. It just moves well. Right. And, uh, I remember the first time I saw a training video on Piero Stimo's lift weights, it was the exact same thing. And all beautiful. I wanted to do is see him do something else other than Olympic weight lift, just to be able to solidify the fact that that dude could probably do just about anything. Yeah, he's very athletic. And like he's such a nice you guys should get him on your show. He's he is literally the nicest dude. And like uh, his presence, people are always asking you, do you think is a wise investment on USA Weightlifting's uh, side? It definitely is. And like, you know, even if let's say that he doesn't have anything to give us as a coach, he does, but like pretend he doesn't. It's just what he brings when he's in the room. You know when he's with you. Your level of confidence is a little bit higher than it would have been because you got a three-time gold medalist right, right there who just knows, and it gives you this slight edge. At least as a coach, it makes me feel more confident just with him being in the room. Um, but yeah, his, his movement is key. And as a weightlifting coach, I think that's what makes a weightlifting coach want to be a weightlifting coach is movement. You see something beautiful, and you have this eye – for like movement it's human movement is all it, it is it's, that's what it's symmetry us. yeah it, right. it's symmetry it's balance it's uh it's coordination it's all these other things being able to move your body in relationship to this uh, to a bar and implement and then be able to move it through space and make it look elegant like that's yes. like the definition of athleticism for me um when uh when you uh you know i know you put out like a ton of ebooks and training and all that and i need to dig into them so we probably have a better conversation but uh, in terms of training, like you have something like the Bulgarian system, you have something like the Russian system, which is using conjugate, uh, you know, where does your kind of philosophy fall into all that? I would say more on the Russian side, but we do have, you know, we do have a max effort day, but like, I would say it would, it would look Russian in nature. You know, there's, there's is there a Louis influence? Is there like a, well, a bit of a West side influence? A slight, you know, I mean, I think, yeah, I feel like, uh, the art of coaching is when you you try to learn all these different you know systems and you put them in your own own package is, is basically where it is and like uh, we use velocity based training almost when it not so much with snatch and clean and jerk because you're right it, it's it's um it definitely doesn't work really well for weightlifters because they're so good at the sport like all the all the that all Brian and stuff doesn't apply slower than his guys and still make the lift because they're very good at snatch and clean jerk. So, you know, what we have to do is we have to get individual, you know, for each one of my athletes, I have to get individual um, velocity-based recordings and then start to get some information that applies to just then. So but we use velocity-based training, but it's going to look Russian in nature. Uh, we still have Fridays are going to be a max effort day for the snatch and clean jerk on um, – Monday is going to be a volume day, like a typical Russian volume day with the strength movements. Uh, Wednesday is going to be uh, definitely a dynamic day. So that would be your Louis Simmons uh, with, the, with the speed, with the pulls and squats. And then Saturday is going to be a max effort day for the, the squatting and the deadlifting. So there you go. Yeah, so yeah, you have a little bit of – you're not going to see crazy implement. We're not going to use – you know, a lot of safety squat bars or Buffalo bars, you know, we're probably going to use this to barbell, uh, but we, you will see some chains and you will see some bands. You know, I, I, I've watched you guys do a few things as far as like doing the squats with the heels off, you know, of a board 
just to like strengthen the, I'm, I suppose you're doing it to strengthen the, you know, the Achilles. And it's a, that's a brilliant thing to do because you're going to increase, uh, increase one's, you know, thickness of the tendon. And that's going to help with uh, the stretch reflex when they catch a, catch a squat or jumping or extending at the top. So that's a beautiful thing to do. So I got that straight from you guys. So, yeah, the, yeah. uh, um, uh, so I, years ago in the NFL, like when I was a rookie, I met a podiatrist guy named Lee Cohen. I've told the story before on the podcast for those of you guys can fucking delete it right now. But, uh, Dr. Cohen, I have high arches and he came yeah. in and he's like, Hey, he was an older guy in his sixties, kind of an old Jewish podiatrist. Uh, one of my favorite people. Cause, uh, I used to go with, uh, with him and, uh, Aaron Sugarman, who was our, uh, uh, one of our trainers. They'd always do what they called uh, Jewish Christmas, where we go to a right. movie and go have uh, Chinese food, which I thought was hilarious. But uh, <laughs> so he talked about, he's like, hey, man, uh, I'll make you a deal. Uh, I'll either make you orthotics today or let me show you how to take care of your feet and strengthen your feet because you got high arches. And when, yeah. higher, when your arches are high, your foot gets very rigid. And when it gets rigid, it gets weak. So let me show you how to strengthen your feet. And here's all the things I want to do. So I would work on constantly stretching my feet to make sure they stayed nice and like kind of flexible. And then I did a ton of foot strengthening stuff, like the idea of like, you know, splaying the toes, walking around barefoot, you know, picking up jacks, you know, doing all this foot strengthening stuff. And so I've always come to the conclusion that, uh, you know, like we, we'd run in people that had knee problems and hip problems. And there was all these kind of like interesting kind of like uh, lights on, like, you know, oil lights, for example. But I could never necessarily figure out what the root was. And I'd never had any of these issues. Like, obviously, I had some knee issues from, you know, a fucking helmet to the side of my knee tearing cartilage. Like no, it was never something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like all the shit that happened to me happened under impact. So, yeah. but then I always wondered, I'm like, man, regardless of what would happen, I always came back and was fine. And then we had uh, Cal Dietz. Um, he did that presentation at SummerStrong a couple of years ago where Who he I talked love. about like the foot, you know, uh, the weak feet being the canary in the coal mine for all these other injuries. And that if you have strong feet, you can basically give somebody a fucked up hip. You can give them a bad knee. But as long as their foot is strong and flexible, their interaction with the ground becomes like absolute. And these become non-factors. So it's like I take a helmet to the shin. I break a leg. How is it that three weeks later I can play 20 weeks on a broken leg? Because my feet were strong. And that to me was like, holy shit. Uh, we're not doing people a, a, or we're, we're doing people a disservice, not challenging their feet enough in the training. And then he showed us a few things he was using in his training, which were basically just like taking beelines to what he wanted instead of our kind of like, hey, we're going to take you through this training you know, like you're going to start here and we're going to get you here. He just went right to it with like his single leg kind of Hatfield lunges where the knee was, you know, foot elevated knee over the toe. So then we started trying to find ways to like progress people towards something like that. And we found right. that like, you know, Hey, you know, we want to you know put the balls of the feet and elevate it up. And I think, uh, you know, uh, we saw, um, Bert Soren and, yep. uh, um, so a different, there's almost a progression in how we write it into the programming is during deload or reload weeks. As we would call them. Yeah, I hate deloads. I always think about putting more bullets in the gun, yeah. so I call them reloads. It's it's still like squatting, that. but we can't go as heavy as we normally would. Right. So we have uh, the heel elevated. That's going to target that foot, an active foot. So still a bilateral. This right. is targeting the foot as well. And then a staggered stance. That's uh, how we essentially the heel floating challenges the Achilles. 
But this lengthens the Achilles with the staggered stance. And then also uh, the other one, which is driving me crazy, is I don't know where all of a sudden somebody got this idea that your knee should never go over your toe when you squat. Yeah. And and what's wild is like all of a sudden there was a, a knees over toes guy where everybody was raving about this. And I'm like, I didn't even know this was a thing. Like if yeah. you watch anybody ever sprint, I mean the knees over the toe in every sprint, every dynamic sure. movement. Like there's no way to snatch, clean, and jerk and do any of the Olympic weightlifting unless your knees nope. positive shin angle knee over the toe. I sure. mean, Lou, Louis talked about a vertical shin sitting back into the energy of the squat suit and the briefs because right. the position that they would squat into, and you know this from powerlifting, nice wide stance, sit back with a vertical shin so I can dump all the energy into the suit and then use it to rebound. But right. like that's not the position for athleticism and there's no, no part of athleticism. No. no, I mean, your knee's always over your toes. And sure. so what's wild to me, uh, like it, it's kind of funny, man, maybe we've been doing this long enough where all of a sudden I hear people making arguments where I'm like, holy shit, one, I didn't even know that was an argument. Two, I didn't even know that there were people on the other side saying this or are you just making shit up to try to fucking look like there's some imaginary fucking battle on the internet to fight. But uh, the... Uh, like the, you know, so then we started forcing people like, hey, if your heel is, is dangling and we lift it up and you're having to have active, when you squat, your knees are going to go over your toes and you get a positive shin angle. And then we even right. got to a point where people were still trying to sit back. So then we said, fuck it. Let's just elevate the heel, old bodybuilder style, and try to get their knee as far over your toes. Because um, when I tore my patellar tendon, uh, the one thing that really helped it come back was I started squatting in only shoes which allowed for a lot of positive shin angle. Sure and the minute did, that yeah. all of a sudden I started putting all that stress into the tendon, all of a sudden now my tendon healed. I was fine. I was able to get my quad to fire. Everything happened from getting that knee over the toe by stressing the quad and putting stress on that tendon. There's another thing. If you guys had uh, Dr. Keith Barr on your... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. That's he's my awesome. guy. The, One of the best. He's my guy. So, like, you know, now that with the with the athletes that I coach... You know, we do we do a lot of that because of what's called strain energy. And so, like, by doing the isometrics, when you guys are doing the, the floating heel, it's like, you know, the, the Achilles is, is definitely getting, you know, strengthened and thickened, you know, at that, at that angle. Because, you know, when you strike the ground, that's preferably about where you want your foot. You know, if that's, you know, you want it about, oh, you don't want it to be necessarily like, you know, plantar flexed or do you want dorsiflexion but somewhere in between so i thought it was a brilliant thing to do you know like to get strengthened and then once you do a lot of the floating heel then do some bounding to get the matrix you know he talks about the isometrics thickens it and then the matrix i mean then the bounding which is the path like the post-activation potentiation stuff that i used and then also like the french contrast which shit man i mean we've always been you know something heavy something dynamic something isometric i mean it falls within the template uh, like, I mean, the, the amount of times like in my training when we were, you know, early in my NFL training, fuck, we'd squat a heavy triple, uh, or, you know, heavy front squat, triple go over. And it was immediately transitioned into like a, uh, fucking push up start, 20 yard sprint, rolling start, sure. everything. So we'd squat heavy and sprint as fast as we can. So, you know, right. and what's wild is, uh, I figured out, um, and what's wild on this is Cal Dietz has since, uh, you know, talked about this a bunch. Uh, I found that the quality of my movement was better. Like, for example, let's say I had five sets of three on a squat. If I did right. the first set and then I, I chose a movement that was like outside of that pattern, whether it was uh, uh, something dynamic like a lunge jump or a reverse hyper, just something that wasn't the same pattern, the quality of my uh, next set was really good. When I really? did oh. just five sets of three in a row with like two or three minutes rest without doing something opposing, the, like the quality of the movement went down. 
And so when I talked to Cal, Cal was like, yeah, we started, uh, you know, after somebody would squat heavy, we'd have them go over and do like uh, a reverse hyper, but do it on single legs, or we would have them do uh, GHDs. And he kind of went through some different patterns. We like lunge jumps, um, but just doing something that's a different pattern than bilateral hinging and you, something dynamic. Even just marching in place. Cal even has like, found success. Yeah, even just marching in place, which is, you know, the, the simplest thing that the quality of movement was better over the course of sets. And I, I, I found that years ago. Why, I wonder. Uh, it's, it's, uh, well, in super training to, so to, to now put a footnote to this, that to equals the experience, uh, of what they, they labeled it as it's called leveling abilities. And they have a whole like athleticism matrix within super training book. So it, our blueprint of athleticism is X axes, hips, think squat, deadlift, hinging, hinging. Sure. And then we have the lunge which my pelvis is going to rotate along the Y axis. So right. rotation of the pelvis and then a tilt of the pelvis along a Z axis. So tilt of the iliac crest up and down, stepping up, marching like Cal's example. So the experience with PAP when it's through power athlete program is not going X axis, X axis, it'd be X and Y or X and Z to then find well, what you've experienced. Well, yeah. what's wild too is you see people uh, like, like on Instagram and it's funny. Uh, people are like, oh, we're doing athletic style of training or, you know, you have to train like an athlete and they're showing somebody jump. And I'm like, all right. So the fact that like that's the basis of your training, that if you're jumping in your train, like it's, it, it feels so like pedestrian, like right. uh, we've gotten so far past that. But like there there was um, like um, who was it? Uh, Dr. Huberman had a podcast and he was talking about putting on muscle. Right. So I listened right. to it because he's a thorn guy. and We'd love to get him on in the future. But it was wild. He was going through all these different parameters and how to put on muscle. And all you have to do is look in a f- fucking bodybuilding magazine for the last 50 years is, is going to do this. It's like he's like somewhere between five and 15 sets of body part, you know, uh, somewhere between, you know, five and 15 reps, 30 to 80 percent. And like I was like, dude, <laughs> Charlie Francis, uh, years ago when I talked to Charlie, made a funny point to me. He, he talked about sprinting and getting fast like you can't uh, train in what he called the no man's land. So if you want to sprint and get fast, you have to run fast, which was 92.5% of your fastest. You had to run in that deal. If you were same running slower than 92, and then before uh, between 92 and 76, let's say, he called the no man's land, but then you're at 75, it's where his tempo runs were. And he made a funny point to me. He goes, where's the majority of strength built? And I was like, uh, I don't know, 76 to 92. He goes, if you look at the bulk of strength training, You'd have almost 90% of all of the percentage and reps and everything in our no man's land. But yet we know if we sprint in the no man's land, we don't get faster. What do you think that means? And I'm like, I don't know. And he goes, it means that sprinting and running fast isn't limited by strength. It's about neural efficiency. So he's like, he's like, you have to run in the, he goes, so you train in these two places to get faster, but we get stronger in this. So what it means is that, you know, getting strength and like, you know, like the people like, Oh, you want to get faster to squat, you know, get stronger in your squat. Well, that'll work to a point where all of a sudden it doesn't work. Right. So, but it's, it's funny. Like as I was watching this podcast and people were like, Oh, this is so unbelievable. I'm like, if you've been lifting fucking weights at any time in your life and put on any level of hypertrophy, this is actually what the bodybuilders figured out. I mean, we can bring Jay Cutler on the podcast and he would be like four sets of 12. I did four to six exercises. You know, I trained a body part every 72 hours, same shit. It's the and, same uh, exact stuff. Yeah. You know, it, it's like Olympic weightlifting. Uh, 
you know, the strongest guy isn't going to be the best Olympic weightlifter. It's the person that can create the most force and has enough elasticity and speed to pull themselves under the bar in that second pull. Right. And then the fucking, and then the grit just to stand the fuck up with it. I would, I would say that in weightlifting though, we're more like sprinting. Like, uh, uh, it was, a, it was, Oh, of course, Prilipin is the one who said that whoever can, sp- you know, stay above 90% the most is going to be the one who gets better at weightlifting. It's so, cause there's a big difference in like people can get really darn good at 80, 85% snatch and clean jerking. But then the minute they go to 90 and they suck, it's like whoever can really get their body, you know, built well enough um, to go above 90%. And I said this to, when I first came into the weightlifting world, you know, I was talking about this and a lot of the American coaches were like saying, you're crazy. You know, you're a powerlifter. You're just trying to go heavy all the time. And guess what? Now there's a whole new, you know, now these weightlifting coaches are now, it's a whole new thing that is now often above 90%. Of course, it's like, you know, what is that? What do we do when we do weightlifting? We're above 90% and we got, we got to get really good. But you got to remember, it's not in powerlifting, like uh, you're not, you're not going that fast. And so in weightlifting, you're moving really fast with yeah. really heavy weight and neurologically you got to get it good moving your heaviest weights really fast. And so I would agree with Charlie Francis 100%. Yeah. Well, I mean, so. Lou, Louis said the same thing. We're not trying to be the best at reps, you know, like, I mean, yeah. and, and you know, Lou, Louis was, uh, I spent a ton of time with Lou and count him to be one of the smartest people I've ever been around for this stuff. He made a great, great point where it's like, I'm not trying to get these guys really good at reps on, on their no. like core movements, I'm going to have them, you know, because I need them to be able to be good at one heavy movement, which is their sport specific. We're going to get a ton of volume in our accessory work. I'm not trying to get them sure. underneath the bar. And it, it made a ton of sense. I mean, since then, there's, you know, there's guys like Dan Green and all these other, you know, uh, kind of raw power lifters that have trained with more volume and been successful. And Ed Cohen trained with volume and all this. But at the end of the day, in a powerlifting meet, you get paid for one rep. It's not like, hey, my first one, one sucked. Hold on, let me get another one. Right. And so Louis was like, I'm not training somebody to have the best second rep. And the thing I always loved about Lou is the fucking one-liners. I wish I had a, like a, a book of them all. But he, he made that point to me. He's like, I'm not trying to get them the best at the second rep. No. You know, I'm not trying to have them you know, to be the best at reps. And it made a ton of sense, especially in the Olympic weightlifting thing, where you're like, right. hey, man, we only get one chance to go out there and snatch one rep or clean and jerk one rep. If, if I don't start looking good until the third rep, now we're going to have issues. Totally. And weightlifting is just so, it's just so fast. And like, you got to just get be, be good and comfortable with going the heavy. And I'm not telling if any weightlifting coach is listening, I'm not saying go out and start maxing out every day. I'm just saying, be aware of like how often you're able to go above 90% and slowly try to ramp that up over time, you know, like try to get where they're better at that particular skill. And if not, like, it's not, they're not going to be good. You're like if, if your athlete breaks down after, you know, 88%, well, you're in trouble because the sport is lifting, you know, at a hundred percent. That's, yeah. that's the sport. So you got to get good at that. Travis, so. you mentioned some CrossFitters that you've taken on as athletes. Has that sport that's very high volume Olympic weightlifting changed your perspective and really opened up some doors for you as a, a coach and programming for your specific Olympic weightlifting athletes? I was, well, the sport itself obviously has brought more attention to weightlifting and it's um, opened the doors to a lot of athletes who were designed more for weightlifting, like Ryan Grimsley, the guy I have. He was a good CrossFitter. You know, he was like right on that cusp. He almost made the um, 
the CrossFit Games teenagers. However, he was really darn good at weightlifting, and it's just genetics. He was fighting it. He was he is designed to be able to go heavy often, and he was you know he's he's good for one rep, you know one rep. Where CrossFit, you need to be good for thousands of reps or whatever. So it's definitely opened up the doors as far as like, uh, and it's brought those athletes to a lot of coaches like me who they weren't going to be good at CrossFit. But they were really good. They're gen- genetically they were designed better for weightlifting. So it's done that. You know, athletically, it's it's uh it's made some weightlifters better athletically because you know they're they make them do gymnastics and they run some and they swim some and that's been good. And because Ryan, that was definitely good for him. Yeah, because he didn't play a ton of sports like I did growing up. So it's good that he was introduced to all those things. So it's helped in that. And uh, I can't remember if it's super training or science and practice, but they talk about the idea, I think it's science and practice, that to be good at, uh, I mean, they talk about that there's a time in the off season where circuit training is good in terms of building like, uh, you know, base level of fitness and trying to create this, you know, larger uh, GPP platform. But they talk about too much circuit training in relation to sports specific training causes a conversion of fast twitch muscle fibers to slow twitch muscle fibers to be able to handle the extended period. And they, uh, in the deal, I think he talked about, you have about a six week window where you can build it without fucking, you know, having, you know, a a fiber type switch, but like the long circuit training will find that, you know, and so, uh, you know, reading that was really impactful for me because, uh, you know, we always did these metabolic conditioning cycles and we did that in football when I saw CrossFit, I was like, oh, you know what? Building a bigger aerobic base, not realizing that prolonged GPP work would actually hurt my ability to generate force on yeah. the top end. And, uh, you know, after I got hurt and I came home and was, I remember we went on vacation and I read, uh, it was, I, I took super training and science and practice and read them, which is hilarious. As yeah. my wife's like, all you did was read. And I'm like, well, I was trying to figure out the fuck I did wrong. And <laughs> when I got to that point, so when I see the CrossFit stuff, which is really fascinating to me too, because you'll see some of those kids go in and uh, they'll fucking PR like they'll, you know, like a guy will clean like, you know, 365 pounds, which are pretty solid. And they're able to do it under duress. I mean, they've done reps. It's on the minute. I mean, they're doing a bunch of crazy shit and they're actually hitting PRs and people are like, oh, see how it works. I'm like, yeah, yeah. but if you put that, I mean, if that kid's able to do 365 here and under all this duress, what does this look like when you actually put him into uh, a legitimate, you know, training program. I mean, that kid probably has the potential to be much higher. So you guys are, you know, I mean, the guy's doing it in fucking running shoes. What's the guy who keeps? He, I think he's retired now, but uh, he um, won Matt year after year. Um, Froning? Matt Fraser. You know, he like he was, yeah, either one. But I'm talking about Matt Fraser because you know he was a weightlifter first, but he was okay. Like he made the a junior world team, but he was not going to go to the Olympics, and so like. You know, so he was pretty good, but his genetics were more towards, you know, long endurance, anaerobic, probably has a really good lactate threshold naturally. So those are great genetics for CrossFit. But like in weightlifting, it's just a pure like, you know, rate of force development, movement. You know, it's you got to be very fast switch. And I think Andy Galpin did a lot of um, testing with our, some of our athletes back in 2017. Like They're very fast switch. It's like... You know, you just the, the person who's designed to be a Matt Fraser is not going to be the Olympian. He's just not. He's going to be pretty good at weightlifting, but really darn good at CrossFit. And so the guy who's going to be an Olympian is going could could be pretty good maybe at CrossFit, but he's not going to CrossFit games. So that's 
you know, that, that's just the way it is. And so you don't want either one of them doing the other too long, or like you said, then you're going to have, you know, fiber type changes and like, you don't want that. Like you want the fiber types to stay fast and get faster. And like Andy Galvin, everything he's, you know, I'm sure you guys, yeah, yeah if you had him on your show, yeah. Oh yeah. So oh, like yeah. we train to be super fast. We don't do anything well, very long. It's going to be the opposite. And it takes years to develop uh, the density in the fibers. That's what I think people forget right. too soon that there's like a, I mean, we had Jay Cutler on the podcast, the bodybuilder, and he talked about like, you know, bodybuilders hit their peak in their thirties. If they can make it, you know, it seems like the gauntlet of drugs and everything is killing these dudes. But like he talked about like the muscle maturity and the density that as right. guys age. And I, and I still think the same thing exists in terms of Olympic weightlifting and a lot of these uh, like big explosive, um, you know, super dynamic sports. There takes uh, like a serious body of work to develop the density in the muscle and the density in the fibers to be able to survive under load. So I mean, it's not only just the speed, but I think that there's like this density that only comes from time and pressure. Totally, I, I would one hundred percent, and you just you just don't want to change that makeup too much. So we have accumulation phases, but just like four weeks, and you could you, you know if you look at those four weeks, that might be you might see a little bit of like a strength endurance type phase, but it's only four weeks and it's not going to last long. And all I'm really doing is giving the joints a slight break. And then it's right back to very specific, yeah, the, you know, of focus. The beatings on will back. continue until morale improves, which is probably, yeah, you probably got to have that quote somewhere in your gym. The beatings will continue until morale improves. Yeah. I, cool. That's just the way it goes, man. Like it's just, that's the sport. And like, you just can't get it good at weight lifting by doing you know something slow and something not very heavy it just because <laughs> it's 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 heavy and it's very fast awesome. so there you go specificity is always going to win the is win the war well dude if uh if people want to catch up and see what you're doing and uh click on and you know follow the programs and really just get more involved with you where's the best place to go you can go to mashley.com or you instagram mashley performance to be two good places awesome well dude well, thanks, dude, for taking the time on this glorious Monday for a little Power Athlete Radio. Thanks for it's tuning fun in. fun talk. Yeah, man. Anytime. Cool. Thanks oh, by the in. way, I, oh. I love Be The Hammer. Like, <laughs> you caused me to, look, to waste a lot of time. But I love those Be The Hammers, man. Like, Nice. Well, best. I mean, uh, I'll thank your weightlifters every time they pull the bar and that bar crashes on them. And it's like, holy shit, that guy. You know, that's a good analogy. Like, uh, hey, you know, life, either the you hammer or the nail. And as long as you're the hammer more than the nail, you're going to survive, which is what uh, – Tom I can show Lodrick. you a few videos of the bar being the hammer. So oh, yeah. <laughs> now it makes sense. So cool. Thanks for tuning in. Another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Travis Mash on Instagram at Coach Travis Mash. Until next time. Bye.